Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Everybody, it's Wednesday, March 20th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. And Mr. Mm, Bob Ryer. Good evening. And we are just a power of three tonight. Uh, Stephanie is hard at work planning Fabletown and beyond uh, right now, uh, which I believe is this weekend uh, coming up. So. Um, we say good luck to her because apparently, if you've been following her on Twitter, you know she's been going out of her mind, uh, <laughs> at being as busy as she is. Um, <laughs> she sent me this amazing uh, gif on my phone of this cat flying around on somebody's bed <laughs> and just hopping everywhere. And I think they sped it up a little bit, and I was like, "It's you! It's you!" She's like, "Damn right it is!" <laughs> oh, a second. All right, we are back after a little technical blip there. Uh, no remixes this Nobody time, no. wants to hear me. No remixes. No, we don't, nobody wants to hear about Stephanie's time at Fablestown. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. We love Stephanie, and uh, we will obviously hear a lot about it when she's back on this show. Um, yes. We have an interview for you guys on Friday uh, with Mr. Yell Stewart, who is the writer of the webcomic JL8. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys are, haven't been reading that or aren't up on it, you know... Uh, if you guys search JL8, uh, you'll kind of find JL8 webcomic and read it. It's free. Uh, there are about a hundred and I think by the time this interview comes out, there'll be I think 115 yep. uh, installments of it. There, they range from being very short, you know, uh, three panel, uh, basically jokes a lot of the time, to longer form, you know, uh, stories. Uh, all featuring DC superheroes as kids. Uh, not sanctioned by DC. Doesn't make any money off of it. So. Uh, check that out though, because it's really it's really kind of great stuff, and it'll get you guys primed for our interview uh, on Friday. Uh, more on the kind of the web comic uh, bent. Uh, big news happened just on Tuesday. Uh, a couple days ago, Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin were teasing a, a new series that they were doing together, a new creator-owned series. Uh, then uh, on Tuesday, they announced it and subsequently released it uh, online on the website Panel Syndicate dot com uh they're using kind of what we you know people tend to call the radio head method of distribution <laughs> which is uh pay what you will uh and you know it went live and anybody could get it uh right away uh steve and i both uh downloaded it and oh. and read it uh and there's a review up on the site if you guys want to go check that out is uh, there already yeah i wrote it t- yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I read it and just read the review because they were popping up all over the place. And so I wanted, you know, our site to be uh, in the mix of all that stuff. Um, so it's a near future sci fi story. Uh, it's the tricentennial of America. And in this, in this America, uh, yeah, the paparazzi are now private investigators and they're outlawed. So they're, it's legal to be a paparazzi. Um, and 
we focus on one of those paparazzos who is, you know, basically, it's basically like Chinatown, you know, or Blade Runner. He's a detective trying to, you know, he solves cases. He gets, you know, pictures of people who don't want their picture taken. You know, he uh, finds people who don't want to be found. He finds out things about people who don't, they don't want the information found out about them. And he gets approached by a woman uh, who asked him to do a job uh, for him. And, you know, th- that's kind of the bare bones story of it. The, the beauty of, uh, of, of this, uh, of the, um, the private eye is what it's called, is it's through and through Brian K. Vaughn. If you're reading Saga right now, uh, you will, you will want to be reading uh, this book as well. Mm-hmm. It's got that same amazing world building that he does, uh, crazy characters, really tweaked concepts, but, you know, all kind of, filled with these really great big science fiction ideas about what our society is and what it means. And the art by Marcos Martin is, is gorgeous. Uh, you know, these are both superstar creators who have been working for a very long time and it, they chose to do their next book in this way. But it's very much, if this book came out from Image, it would be the same book you're seeing right now. That's uh, how, how high quality it is. Uh, Steve, what did you think of it? I thought it was very, very cool. Uh, I found out about it through our website. It's always nice yeah. when uh, you get a little bit of information from your own, your own, uh, your own site. So uh, I went and I went to the site and I purchased it and it was real easy and it was nice of them to allow me to take it in whatever format that I wanted. I actually grabbed all three because I didn't remember what format I usually read in because I don't usually read web comics. Um, but. If they're going to be releasing this, you know, exclusively through online, and that's the only way that you can get it uh, for right now, then I'm going to be probably getting it. It actually, it forced me to bring my tablet out of out of hiding. <laughs> I had to blow the blow the dust off of it. And uh, as far as the the book itself, I thought it was really good. It was really cool. Um, now that I've read, you know, I read his his run on uh, Runaways, and of course, I've been religiously following Saga. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, it wasn't surprising that it was a really like a high concept book. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what he does with science fiction. I think his ideas are really uh, quite original. And mm-hmm. even if some of the things that he plays with have been done before, he does it in such a way that it feels different. It feels new. Yeah. Um, I might have seen Marcos Martin's uh, work in the past, but if I have, I don't know where. He did the first uh, six issues of Mark Wade's Daredevil. Oh, okay. run. He does. We were, yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. And he's also with Brian K. Vaughn before as well. I did a Dr. Strange miniseries uh, with him, but yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was cool. It was really cool to see another, uh, another artist take an approach to like the worlds that he creates, how Fiona's doing saga with all that, you know, the huge populace that that book has. And now you have a different artist approaching a different kind of world, uh, with Brian K. Vaughn. And I think the, he just seems to work with really, really amazing people that understand the ideas that he's trying to convey to his audience, and they they take it and they run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the costumes and some of the masks that they saw, some of the close-up shots of certain characters were really just quite breathtaking. Yeah, um, I'm super excited for it. Is it ongoing? It's going to be ongoing. They said it's they're planning a 10-issue run uh, for nice. it. Um, and obviously it's going to go, you know, as long as they're getting enough money to keep going, they're going to keep going. Uh, yeah, it was just very intriguing. You know, he does this thing, he does the same thing in Saga as well, where he, he, he throws you into this world and he doesn't really explain what the world is, but 
he quickly starts to give you a ton of clues mm -hmm. and you know little bits in there that start to acclimate you to the world. And he does that here too because he throws you in and he's just kind of like, okay, there's stuff that's weird. These people are outlaws. We get that right away. You know, it, the, people are doing things that don't quite make sense. Why? The, why does this person have a fish head? Why yeah. does this person have a tiger head? You know, but he just starts giving that information organically throughout the book, and you know, he's setting up mysteries and solving them almost in turn. And that makes it makes it very easy to propel you through through the book. Right. In that it's way. it's funny. The um one of the characters or just. The world in general, it reminds me of what the world might be like when like you or I are about like in our late sixties, seventies. Yeah. You know, the, absolutely. Like, like the guy with like, the, the tattoos mm -hmm. and you know, yeah. like complaining about his phone and yeah. it's just like this ancient device. It's just yeah. like, why does anything work anymore? Yeah. So um it was funny because I, I tried to put myself in the shoes of that character and mm -hmm. I was like oh my god I'm like, is that gonna be me <laughs> yeah I felt the same way because that's really the first time I can think you know we've seen a lot of futuristic stories but I don't think we've ever really seen a story based this this amount of distance in the future where people who are like Steve and I's age are gonna be 70 years mm -hmm. old in this yeah. in this kind of time frame and a guy calls his, his grandson his son dude when yeah. he walks in the door yeah. you know <laughs> and you know and he's talking about how his, his phone doesn't work and how he can't play his <laughs> mp4s anymore and all this stuff and you know, I, I thought that was a very interesting take because I haven't seen that before. I mean, the basis of the book is basically <clears throat> the internet is gone. The internet crashed. It collapsed. It doesn't exist anymore. So these private investigators need to be there because everyone has a secret identity now. And they dig up dirt with because there's no search engines anymore. So if you want to know anything about anybody, like as simple as how much somebody paid for their house, you know, they hire mm -hmm. this guy to figure that stuff out. Um, but what's cool about it is a very tactile sense of the world, you know. Everybody's reading books. Everybody's listening to vinyl records. There are newspapers everywhere. There's big newspaper ads, and it's just little clues, even just in the art, that this is that this happened, that this path that we are on got changed somehow. Okay, so it's you're back a hundred years. It might as well be the 1960s again. Exactly, it's exactly right. Except you know, except they have crazy TVs that you know, are voice controlled, and you know, crazy like bullet trains that are very high tech. But that one thing, the internet's gone. It collapsed. It's it's over. Uh, and and so it's that it's the world existing without that. No more talking comics. No more talking comics. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'd have a radio show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Uh, but it's it's great stuff, and and it like I said, it's a book that could very well be being published in Image. And then he said that there's no plans around to have it in print. He's like, we love comic books, physical comic books, and we love the retailers, but this is just something different. That's kind of his quote about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, who knows if it's really successful and they get a deal of it, maybe they do it, yeah. but uh, at this point, there is no plan to do it that way. Uh, but you guys should go check it out. Like I said, um, panelsyndicate.com is where you can find the book. And uh, again, it's pay what you will. You can pay $0, you can pay $100, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's what you kind of, what you uh, think you should pay for it. If you want to try it out, buy, get it for free. And then if you love it, maybe go back and get a second copy and pay a dollar, pay $2 for it. You know, support them yeah. if you think they need, if they feel like you need supporting. Uh, but it, I think it's definitely worth it because it's a book that you would pay three ninety nine for if it was in the comic book stores. You know, it's a 34 page comic right. book. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, some other, uh, some crazy news. Uh, apparently, uh, Warner Brothers is claiming and uh, that Zorro is supposed to be public domain, and they're suing uh, the company that owns says they own the rights to Zorro, uh, which is Zorro Productions Incorporated, saying they perpetrated a fraud by continuing to sell the rights the way they just did to Dynamite. Yeah, but that they don't actually own the rights that they're saying they do, and they're they're selling fake. 
you know, everyone, they don't need to be selling the rights. I'm like, I don't it themselves and not paid anything for it. Well, I think it's 1913. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, Johnston Macaulay. Right. Yes. Nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, but it's uh, 1919 was the no, first oh, Zorro story enough. published. Uh, close enough. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no soup for you. Uh, it's, uh, they, but they're saying that five th- years past the death of the author. Isn't that how this works now? I'm not. You know, this the Sonny th- Bono laws or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's saying that. Uh, you know, th- this is what the lawyers have said. Or the, you know, the, uh, defendants have built a licensing empire out of smoke and mirrors. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that. But that could be very interesting <laughs> for a whole range of. Well, Thanks. some of Tarzan is public domain, but not all. Right. So it could be that situation with mm-hmm. this. They're around the same time period. Yeah. We'll have to see what happens with that. But that's that's one of those things, those crazy things that characters like that start ending up in the public domain. That's going to be it's going to be one of those things where you're going to get a ton of crazy stuff featuring those characters. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Mouse porn. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Mickey Mouse will never end up in the public domain. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Disney made sure of that. So there you go. That um, just keep moving the clock backwards and forwards through whatever yeah. suits them. Uh, a few weeks ago, as we talked about Jason Momoa possibly playing Drax the Destroyer in um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, he passed on that. Uh, we do have someone playing Drax the Destroyer. Uh-huh. It's uh, a wrestler uh, named Batista is playing it. I don't watch WWE anymore, so I have no idea. I've seen him before. Uh, he obviously has the build for it. Yeah, and he is also he's he's going to be in uh, Riddick. Uh, the new yeah. Rick movie coming out this year, and he was also just in the Man with the Iron Fists, which was, I guess, the Rizza movie mm-hmm. uh, produced by Quentin Tarantino. So he has been in movies, and he will continue to be in movies. Um, and he's big. He's very big. Yeah, I he's mean, pretty big. And you know, I could take him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's obviously a mixed bag with wrestlers becoming actors. You know, you, for every Rock, you get you know Steve Austin or or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that Tyler Maine. Tyler I'm having flashbacks to Suburban Commando. Yeah, exactly. Or a Hulk Hogan. Uh, I will say, though, that I think that Marvel has been pretty good about their casting. And I don't think they would have cast him unless he tested very, very well. Yeah, but now you say that. Is there a bad, well, not counting Halle Berry, is there a bad performance in one of their movies? Well, in the ones that they've owned? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Not really. I mean,. Mickey works really weird in Iron Man too. He's not bad. I don't know, uh, but he he's very very strange. But casting that's, Mickey Rourke yeah. when they cast him was was not a bad move because Mickey Rourke had just come off the wrestler and and, and a, a nice run of movies where he was very well received. Um, no, I can't really think of a movie where I was very disappointed or thought that somebody was bad, even if they weren't my cup of tea in one of their. It's since Iron Man one yeah. uh, and on. Yeah, we're not talking Dolph Lundgren. No. <laughs> Or even the ones before that, even the ones, you know, the the pre-Marvel Studios, yeah. Marvel movies. Uh, I mean, we'll see. It's, who knows? People are always calling for this, right? They're always like, well, this person's not big enough to play this role. You know, now you have the person who's big enough to play this role. No. Now we'll see whether or not this person is a good enough actor. I mean, I don't think Drax has a lot to do speaking-wise. He did in the old days. Yeah. So I'm not sure about this last incarnation. Yeah. He's going to be Sabretooth from X-Men 1. Yeah. Mm. I hope not. No. <laughs> Speaking of wrestlers who have played uh, Marvel characters, that is one of them. Uh, 
but you know, I like to see it moving forward. I'm, I'm more interested to see who gets cast as uh, well. Rocket Raccoon is obviously the big one because it's going to be a big voice. I'm guessing whoever it's going to be, and Gamora, who is a uh, female warrior. I want to see who gets cast in those. Wasn't roles. there a rumor that Adam Sandler was going to be Rocket Raccoon? That was a while ago. Yeah, there was Adam Sandler and somebody else that they mentioned, some other comedian they mentioned possibly being the voice. Ugh. But I, I doubt that that's going to happen. David Spade. <laughs> I would rather have Adam Sandler than David Spade at this point. Uh, Rob Schneider. Oh, boy. All right. He's going down the list. Yeah. Yeah. Let Kevin James do it. (laughs) Oh, God. That would be the worst. Jack Black. Hmm. Jack Black doing the voice. He's really good in Kung Fu Panda. I love Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. So, I mean, I could could take him doing the voice of Rocket Raccoon. I think they'll go. I I think you're going to get somebody British, and I think they're going to get something very, like, very, Hmm. you know, almost snide. David Tennant. David Tennant's too goofy. He'd be like, I'm Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> Snide, eh? Yeah. Or I think somebody really. I think somebody Alan more, Rickman. More of a Alan Rickman. No, no. Yeah. I think somebody Gordon, really Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Nah. Or somebody with a very gruff voice, like a Michael Rooker, even though he's not British, obviously, but that kind of voice. That would. Yeah, that's good. You know, yeah, or like British uh, Michael Rooker. Rooker. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, shoot. Uh, not Brendan Gleeson. Uh, the guy. Oh, sh- I can't remember his name. He was in. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, and it's going to kill me. Uh, he was in The Departed, and he was in... Boston. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to... No, he didn't... Yeah, but I'll, I'll look up his name, and then... Because it's killing me right now that I can't remember his name. Co-op. But somebody with that kind of... <laughs> are you a co-op? Are you a co-op? <laughs> somebody Fuck. with that kind of voice. That movie. Um, Good movie. That's, that's it is a great movie. That drove, drove me crazy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the little news that's been floating around. Um, let's move on to our book of the week. Uh, Bob, why don't you start out? Oh, hold on a minute. Starting from the bottom, uh, Highways number three came out this week, and this continues to go all over the place. What Ray Winstone. Think? Ray Winstone is the person yes. I'm thinking of. He'd be perfect. Hooray. <laughs> there we go. Um, this has been three different book so far in terms of it's been a different sort of mystery each time and it just keeps changing the art is certainly gorgeous uh we now have lots of duplicity it's coming from everywhere so uh, for those who are reading in between i don't want to say too much if you're waiting for the trade this is going to read so much differently together i know steve has been checking out bobby have you yeah i have not no this is the everyone who's not who they say they are issue (laughs) yeah and we'll have to see how that plays. But itself done out. very well, and I'm actually very much enjoying. it. But I am confused. Wasn't this only supposed to be four issues? Yeah. Why does it say something? Because it says in the back says to be continued. Usually it says to be concluded. Oh <laughs> uh, well, maybe. Uh, I what the hell do I know? I yeah. <laughs> it says say continued, and stuff is blowing up, so that's mm. good. Um, <laughs> it's good for Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, on something that did actually just conclude, Ghost Number Four. Hmm. Uh, so those who have been following this one got themselves some nice little closure, except there's a little bit of business that needs to be continued, and this is going to be an ongoing series a little later on in the summertime. Nice. And Kelly Sue will be doing at least the first arc, from what we hear. So it, it's stuck, it's, I guess not its full landing, but this, the, the much of a landing it could? Yeah. What we have here is the, the plot through here. <laughs> I can't say anything. <laughs> it, it got concluded. Mm-hmm. In a rather nice way. However, there's some missing things that need to be fixed. Okay. And that will be her new mission in life. (laughs) Or death. Right. So people who kind of, you know, because I'm sure there are some people who, like us, have very full pull lists and don't want to keep adding money. Uh, 
and then maybe they were just on board for these four issues. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I got a nice four issues, and then we're done. Yes, yes you can walk away. You can very walk happy. away. Okay, cool. That's uh, good to know. You may not want to. Well, you may not want to, but I'm just yeah. saying, you know, people were promised a miniseries, and sometimes when it, you know they leave that door open too much, then becomes so, well, I invested these four issues thinking I was getting a self-contained story, and oh, now oh, it is no, it's yeah. completely self-contained in that way. What there is is a nod to a future. Okay, that's great. No, that, I mean, that's, what, yeah. that's ideally what you would want from someone like that. It's, it's not even a tease. It's just a nod. Okay, well, that's great. That's what uh, you want. Yeah, and there's a trade paperback coming collecting all this right. stuff. Hopefully all these myriad covers. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Rocketeer, Hollywood Horror number 2 Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a whole bunch more guest stars in this. We, we still have Doc Savage's people wandering around trying to get the rocket pack. We have Nick and Nora Charles. We have an entire panel of what looks like everyone in Hollywood at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> and I'm going to have to, I'm waiting for a little, uh, there's got to be an internet thing that points out every one of them. Oh, I'm I think sure we've there got will Bogart be. Yeah. and McCall over here, and it looks as if we've got uh, Barbara Stanwyck in the corner. Um, Betty's on the case with Nick and Nora Charles, no less. She's now a detective. We've got missing scientists, missing reporters. It looks like Cthulhu in the background. I don't know what's going on here, but. Roger Landridge has really picked up the baton very nicely from Mark Wade, who did uh, Cargo of Doom. Mm-hmm. And Jay Bone, whose work I only know generally in Jay humor, Bone, sorry. <laughs> is, it, it's just done so well here. It really fits this. Uh, I, everyone knows I'm a huge Rocketeer fan. Very tough to be Dave Stevens. You, you have to go somewhere else. Right. And so they've chosen to go the sort of animated series route, and it really works. Is anybody here... I read the first issue. I haven't read the second issue yet. I mean, I have it, and I'm going to read it. Uh, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I I really enjoyed the first issue. I I, I really like the art style and how it it goes away. It doesn't look like the Chris Samney stuff. No. You know, and I like that. I like that it changes it up, and it, it doesn't, it allows it to be its own thing while you're not comparing it to something that just came before it. Uh, and I really like that a lot about it. Yeah, um, and it looks as if this story is going to get deeper and deeper. We, we've got Cliff in some bad spots. His, Betty's in trouble, isn't she always? <laughs> Uh, who knows where we're going next? I just wish there'd be another Rocketeer movie, but there probably never will be. Oh, I think there might be. Yeah. I think there might be. I'd like that. Yeah. I, and I hope Brad Bird directs it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> if it wasn't for the Rocketeer, we wouldn't have Joe Johnson having done Captain America. So if, if for true. no other reason for all you Marvel fans, mm-hmm. that's how he got that gig. It's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Hmm. And I love that movie. That movie's great anyway. I don't, they're... That movie, if there even wasn't a Captain America movie, that oh, you yeah. know that movie, I love the Rocketeer. Love uh, the Rocketeer. Had you read the book when it came out? No, I didn't. Like I was a kid, so I had no, I didn't have any idea what that was. You know, and I didn't. Even, the funny thing about it is, I didn't even get the the kind of meta reference about it, where you know it was talking about actual old Hollywood. You know, yeah. I didn't even know who Errol Flynn was when I saw the movie. So you know, it it wasn't until afterwards where you know, I guess I was still a kid. I was like. Was Errol Flynn a Nazi? You know, like, there were those rumors. There <laughs> but, were those rumors. But that's, that was my first, really, probably my first superhero movie. You know, I, I ever really saw, and I loved it as a kid. I loved the the design, and um, you know, I, I went, I was crazy for that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have a poster in my bathroom. <laughs> yes, that's, now that you say that, I <laughs> yeah. do remember that. Uh, yeah. No, it was just so well done. It, it evoked all that old Hollywood and the book itself. Uh, and the producer went on to do the Flash. Yeah, right. Danny Bilson. So, mm. anyway, real book of the week instead of all this movie talk. Fearless Defenders number mm. two. Yes. With the craziest cover I have ever it's seen. So good. It's so good. All, their covers coming up for a while are really great. Um, we we start to pick up some more threads of the storyline here. We find out why these Doom Maidens are are mm. on the march because well, Valkyrie didn't do her job. She she yeah. hung around and get 
got drunk and watched soap operas instead mm. of picking out a new team of Valkyries. <laughs> <laughs> so it got her into trouble. And that's why that, that ruin started singing stuff to her. Mm. Uh, we get the reintroduction of Danielle Moonstar from back in New Mutants, who was one of the depowered mutants, but she's still pretty badass. She is very badass. I hope it, that scene with her in the house is great. Mm-hmm. It's great. And that's our introduction, I think, to our really main villain, who we've heard yeah. teased before. It's uh, Caroline Lefay, which we assume she's got some relation to Morgan from mm-hmm. back in the King Arthur days. Maybe it's even her. Who knows yet? Yeah. But lots of fun stuff going on still. It hasn't it gotten all deadly serious. It's still some fun stuff, you know, where uh, you know, Annabelle's going to throw Misty off of Asgard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter how much kung fu you know, you could find yourself <laughs> off the edge here. Yeah. Um, it, it, if people were waiting for the second issue to see if this is worth picking up, it definitely is. Go back and get that first one because it's probably going to explode price-wise really soon. Yeah. You can, like, you know, Cullen Bunn talks about in, in his letter in the first uh, book how much of a passion project this is for him and you can really feel it in in the writing there's a lot of love going mm-hmm. into what's being written here and I, I like the I, I, I like the teases of people to come to join the team I, I like those teases I love who we've already got uh, and I love that it's a very much you know right now an Asgard book and kind of juxtaposing the you know the the misty night world with the Asgard world I think works very very well sure Misty knows she's over her head here and Mm. still tries to kick a character in the chops which is like really you're gonna try that huh yeah Uh, and I think at some point we will see a street level story where we reverse this probably yes because we get that there's a panel or two here where they're having dinner or Mm -hmm. breakfast rather in a diner and the little you know doesn't know the meaning of decaf for Misty Valkyrie is um, a Valkyrie, not a morning person. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just great stuff. So yeah. people, if you were waiting for the second issue or moving forward, definitely get Defenders. Steve, you read? Yeah, I read it. Um, it's funny. I, this always happens that I, I I read an issue, and the problem with sometimes reading comics and reading them as fast as we read them is that when you read so many different books in a lump, like I read like eleven books in a row sitting down. Ouch! And yeah, no, it was fun. But you just like you, you almost like bulldoze through them in a mm-hmm. way. Um, you don't maybe take enough time to sit and like appreciate or, or just ruminate on what you just read. That you like, you, you know, you pick up the next one. Mm-hmm. You pick up the next one. Um, I I am definitely enjoying the series. I still think that I I like the first issue a little bit better, but as far as thinking that it's a quality series for people to read, absolutely. Um, and listening to, to you both talking about it, I think I need to give it a second read, much like some other stuff that I'll talk about in a few minutes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a great series. I think people, and they're just very deaf, and they're doing this all throughout the Marvel Now stuff, but you know they're in that coffee shop, and that could very well be the coffee shop from the Thor movie. You know, oh, you definitely that. Yeah. feel that. Mm-hmm. I think in I think they're doing a very good job of without forcing the movie universe into the comic universe, giving familiar areas and themes and characters and, and situations that I think people who are maybe trying to jump onto this stuff can at least get comfortable with mm-hmm. while they're reading it. Yeah, someone who has just been a movie watcher of the Marvel films mm-hmm. can come into here and feel at home. There is yeah. a it's a lighter line. Marvel has dark books. Don't mm. get me wrong, but there yeah. is a you have a choice. Yes, uh, that's where you're what Marvel does so much better than DC right now is the, is the choice because you know I like dark stuff, mm-hmm. but I also like reading the light stuff, and I'd rather have the choice. And Marvel, 
I think very much since this Marvel Now stuff has begun, has done that pretty much across the board. Uh, and that's great that they've done like a, a line-wide revamp, you know? Because I feel like we were having the same discussion a year ago and I was saying like, you, we, you should be reading Daredevil because Daredevil has this fun stuff in it, yeah. you know? And now that seemed to have permeated with that and Hawkeye and then just sort of like spread out throughout the entire... Uh, universe. Actually, you know, that's a great point. Daredevil might be the beginning of it. It, it might they, be. They might have, you know, yeah. sat in the meeting and said, "Well, Mark, what is it you're doing exactly? How right. do we import that?" Yeah. So, it, bravo to them because it's been yeah. great. And we're gonna talk about more Marvel books as we go around. I'm sure. Steve, Steve, what do you got for us? All right. Um, couple of things. Well, really quick. I am. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm absolutely loving Uncanny X Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laughed my ass off with this latest issue. And, you know, you were talking, Bobby, last week about a conversation between Kitty Pride and uh, Iceman yeah. about what Cyclops and, and uh, Captain America were talking about. So I'm going to read this part real quick. Um, there are some expletives, so I'm going to fill in the blanks okay. really quick. The uh, scene is the Avengers have uh, met up with the Uncanny X-Men. Mm. They've got some explaining to do. And, of course, Scott has got a couple of these new mutants with him. And the new mutants have never been, you know, in the presence of the Avengers. Right. So they're kind of starstruck. Yeah. And two of the new mutants are having a conversation with one another. And it goes like this. He goes, holy shit, it's fucking Captain America. <laughs> like, it goes, not to mention the Hulk. And they, looked at, they look him up and down. He goes, I'm trying not to look him right in the eye. I can't stop looking at him in the eye. Now I can't stop. Why is he wearing armor? That makes no sense. <laughs> I love that part. Yeah. And then there's another part later with magic where she suggests uh, going into the Avengers Tower and rearranging everybody's underwear yeah. drawers and stuff <laughs> like that. That's their revenge yeah. against the Avengers. So I thought it was funny. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. What can I tell you? Uh, I caught up with Greg Rucka's Punisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read, you know, one through 16. I haven't read Warzone, but wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really powerful stuff. I I love the writing. I love how artful the series is. Mm-hmm. That there are whole sections of the book that have you know no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, the demeanor of Frank Castle within the series is is the best Punisher that I've ever read. Punisher was actually one of the characters that when I was uh, younger, like eleven, twelve years old, that I actually read the Punisher. Um, this is an amazing, amazing take, uh, on the character. Really cool. Yeah. Um, very imposing. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the most imposing, you know, versions I've ever seen of him. I've never actually been like afraid of him. And mm-hmm. this series actually, I kind of like freaked me out. Yeah. Well, cause I keep him on the edges. Raka keeps him on the edges of the stories most of the time. It's yeah. not really till you're probably eight, nine issues in that you're really spending Scenes with well, he's like the a Punisher, he's like a know? specter, yeah, or, or ghost, yeah. like he's like almost like an urban legend, yeah, kind of thing. You're spending time with the, you know, with uh, with Sergeant Cole Alvarez, yeah, uh, who is this widowed woman, and with these police, Alves. these police officers, and you know, you're you're basically seeing like what these people would see if they if they ran into the Punisher, if they walked in a, a situation where the Punisher, mm-hmm. you know took out an entire gang of people like what if the what if these two cops what, what do the cops think when they're staying there and they see this happen and you get that very much in the fringes and then he brings you into his world and he starts dealing with with this woman and the way he does that i've never been a big fan of the punisher and the way he does it makes me yeah, made me really invested in the character because rucka doesn't treat the punisher like isn't it so cool that he kills all these people you know and that's what i feel like is the problem with that character Always a lot of the time been, yep. you know it's not cool that he kills people and the Rucka does not treat it like it's cool. Rucka treats it like mm. it's dark, serious, disturbing, you know, harmful stuff. And, it, and the thing that Frank does harms 
everyone around him, you know? And and the book isn't about redeeming him either. It's not being, look at the Punisher's a good guy. It's right. But it's this one moment where he has a chance to stop something from happening, stop something from going down the road that he went down. And using that one moment, I think, really brings out what's best in the character. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great stuff. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you liked it yeah. so much. Yeah, no, really, really cool. And um, just also really cool how through all 16 issues that it was more or less, it was the same continuous story. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't a break every six issues. It was nice to get away from that, that like, you know, six issue arc uh, thing that we keep running into with mm. every series that, you know, that we come across. Yeah. Um, okay, so something else that I read last night before I read The Punisher, and one of the things that I read The Punisher because I needed to get it out of my head, <laughs> was I wanted to write a series review on Change mm-hmm. by Aless Cott. Holy crap. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I did not understand a lick of it <laughs> at all. Hmm. Um, there were, at, all right, I wouldn't say at all. There were parts of it that I got, but the book was very, very, very complicated uh, to read. Just the the narrative, you never really quite knew where it was coming from, or even when you did, you, like you felt like you had to go back, but you're already halfway through the third issue, so you're mm-hmm. not going to go back to the first one yet to read the whole thing over again. You just read it. Right. Um, I mean, I like wild stuff and I like I like his I'm really curious to see what he does with Suicide Squad yeah um because only all I've seen from him is wild children and change Mm -hmm. and if he's going to apply that level of um just like it's almost like he's on drugs (laughs) I'm serious like like some like severe hallucinogenics while writing these things or maybe just tape recording his thoughts (laughs) and then you know giving it to an artist but it's very it um it was like it was Lovecraftian. It mm-hmm. had, um, but then it was also like it was about a rapper and then a, a screenwriter and <laughs> there's an astronaut and there's some dude and it was just so fucked up. There's really no other word to describe <laughs> it. Um, I'm gonna read it again because it's one of those things. I almost feel like it's a challenge. <laughs> like I want to understand it, but I'll fully admit that I sat there and I read through all four and by the end of the fourth issue, I was just like. I didn't even say anything out loud. I was just like, uh-huh. Yeah, it's like reading a David Lynch movie. Yeah, no, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Now, had you read them issue by issue and then lumped them this time, or you read them the first time in this lump? I read the first issue, and then I walked away because I knew it was only... Usually, if it's only like four or six issues, I tend to wait. Uh, so I waited for all four, and I sat down one through four, the whole thing, in one shot. Uh, and even doing that, I was still completely wow. lost mm. on certain aspects. Wow. I almost want like a couple of my friends to read it and like give it to them and be like, do me a favor and read this and then let me know. Like my friend Brendan, I know will eat it up. <laughs> He'll explain it to me. <laughs> um, so I mean, I read a couple other great things. Emily the Strange was great. Secret Avengers was actually quite funny. Uh, I never read anything with Taskmaster. He's a riot. <laughs> He's an absolute riot. Uh, Sledgehammer 44 from Mike Mignola was really cool. Uh, kind of his version of Iron Man, like early, early Iron Man, mm. uh, if you want to check that out. But my absolute favorite book of the week and quite possibly my favorite Bat book of the year so far, uh, I think Bobby wants to talk about, so I'm going to hold no, off. We can talk about it. I mean, I, we, 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 can, talk we, about it we can talk about it now, yeah. Uh, Batman and Robin, number 18. Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah. You know, I started reading it, and you, you, uh, the first couple of pages, there was no dialogue. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it would be amazing if there was no dialogue in this entire mm-hmm. issue. That's what I said to myself. And I kept, I kept waiting for it to break. You know, I kept being like, okay, it's been three pages, it's been four pages. Any second now, he's going to say something. It'll be, it'll be very little, it'll be very faint, but he's going to run into a character, he'll say something. And it just kept going. It kept being silent in it. And I got to the end, and it, there's, there's not a word, or a, there's not a word balloon in the entire, in the entire mm-hmm. book, or a caption in the entire book. And it was one of the most, you know, just best comic book experiences Mm-hmm. I've ever had because that's what it's an experience, you know, and it, and I think something like this blurs that line even further, and maybe no, actually, it makes it bring into relief how much the, a writer and an artist are a team on a book, because this book is all art, but the the it exists because you know because Peter Pizzamasi scripted something out without dialogue. All these actions are scripted. You know, he's not telling Patrick Gleason to do whatever he wants, but also without the words. Patrick Leeson's art really has to come through mm-hmm. and shine and give you everything. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a team effort, uh, such a beautiful book. And the only words you get in the book are at the end. It's, it, there's a letter from Damien to Bruce and it's beautiful, you know, and it, but it, it's beautiful, but written like, a, like, like Damien would write the letter. It's not super sappy, but there's just a, a, a one line in it that is, you know, arrow to the heart, uh, you, you know, sentimental, uh, and then a great last page, which of course is a is a nod to um, death in the family cover from all, you know all those years ago. But yeah, uh, just amazing, amazing stuff. There was one panel in particular that got me almost, almost got me. And uh, I mean, there's there's images like this all throughout the book, so I don't mm. think this is a spoiler. But mm. there's this one, there's this one thing where he's putting away uh, Damien's costume. Mm-hmm. And the empty glove yeah. from Damien's costume mm-hmm. is folded over Bruce's hand, and just the way it's the way it's sitting atop his hand, the way it looks like there's still a hand inside of it, even though it's empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a such a sad, but such a powerful and, and amazing uh, image. And I I was the same way that I kept turning the pages, mm-hmm. and I'm like I was like hoping I was like please. Let this just be all art, and let the yeah. like, don't break, don't like. It became really personal. I was like, don't, don't ruin this for me. Don't <laughs> yeah. ruin the mood for me. Yeah. I am so up for this just mm-hmm. being an art book. And you know, we talked uh, a, a couple weeks back about you know what's more important, artist or or writer, and mm. can one exist without the other? And I mean, I know you said it the best that there is always a script for this mm. kind of thing. It's not just like. He just draws images, and that's what it is. Yeah. But it also proves that you can tell a story just by having the art oh, yeah. be as symbolic mm-hmm. and as powerful as it is. I mean, you want to talk about like, no word bubbles. There's uh, the panel with Bruce like screaming uh, mm-hmm. into the cave or whatever. Just the anguish on his face and mm-hmm. the loss uh, on his face just is... You don't need that, like, you know, zigzag word bubble with the right. big red letters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't need it mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very, very powerful. I mean, I've been really enjoying Batman, a lot of the Batman books, but I mean, this just, this one got to me. Yeah. This one got to me really, really hard. Not uh, more so than any of the, uh, any of the Joker stuff, mm-hmm. any of the Owl stuff. This was the yeah. one. Yeah. Bob, what did you think well, of it? Uh, this is. Once you see it done this way, how could you do it any other way? Yeah, exactly. It's just it's so mm-hmm. perfect. This is a perfect comic book. We always talk yeah. about is there a perfect movie, a perfect book? Yeah. This is. Yeah. 
right there. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't need anything but a look from Bruce. He, mm. he and Alfred exchange glasses. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Alfred drops his head. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. It, beautiful. And I think that, you know, I think, I think hopefully, finally, now, uh, people who haven't been paying attention to Batman and Robin, or maybe not the art in Batman and Robin, Patrick Gleason has been doing this since issue one of this book. He's a fantastic artist. And I think it's going to be really, I think people are going to start really taking notice now of, of his art even more. And I think that's, that's a really good thing to come out of this. I saw a hilarious tweet the day that that comic came mm. out, and it was to Gleason, a fan. And he goes, You made Alfred cry. That made me cry, <laughs> you bastard. Yeah. I definitely got choked up at the end. You know, I, it definitely hit me. It, it hit me right there. And, yeah. you know, uh, Scott's never been saying that this was going to be the book that really dealt with it and that he was leaving the dealing with it to, to Pete Tomasi mm-hmm. and he did the right thing because this was, you know, this was exactly what it needed to be. Um, you know, and it's interesting because reading this book, it's definitely the spine of, uh, you know, if you read Batman 18... You should you should really read Batman and Robin eighteen because Batman eighteen shows you, you know it, it it's from Harper Rose perspective, and it shows you these times where Bruce is going out and, and and you know taking being like a absolute monster and a beast taking all these criminals out doing what he would do to get not face what would happen to him, and you know the, the the kind of thrust of Batman eighteen is Harper sees this happening she has no idea what's happening in his life and you know his name the you know Damien's name is never mentioned in the entire issue and she sees that this guy's close to the edge I've been following him for months he's getting sloppy and it's about her you know saving him basically uh and it's also a great issue you know it doesn't have it's not the same emotional punch uh, as Batman and Robin uh but uh, you know it, it it definitely is a is a great companion issue to it as well uh and uh what is it uh shoot it's uh, Andy Kubert. I didn't want to say the wrong mm. Kubert's name. Is doing the bulk of the yard here, and he did a uh, um, work on the Morrison run. He did Batman and Son when Damien first mm. was introduced, and his Batman. I really love his Batman. His Batman is is very big and uh, and you know angry. he has he gets this is the great snar like a sneer a great <laughs> Batman sneer, and it's perfect for this issue because his Batman is big, bigger than life, and angry and and. and that's how Harper would see him to me, you know, and and then Alex Maleev does the end of the issue, which is a much more centered, low down, um, you know, personal part of the issue. Uh, also very good in, in his style, which is a very different, obviously, style than uh, Andy Kubert's. But uh, I think the Bat Books did a great job, uh, th- those two especially this week, of really nailing mm-hmm. that, uh, th- that paying off that ending. Yeah, I mean, I was saying to myself the other day that, you know, I, I hate to see Damien go and mm-hmm. I hate to lose the character and everything but if if his death gave us that issue mm-hmm. then to me it was worth it i'm so, showing bob sneer. the batman sneer yeah, yeah. <laughs> with some stubble going like on he, has, he hasn't yeah. been yeah. back to the cave in a while yeah no he's and his 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 costume is in tatters he's bruised he's, been up he's bloody days. he's been up for five days mm-hmm. um you know and it's great the harper stuff is great because you get to see her attack a situation one way and fail at it and then attack it a completely different way and solve the problem, you know. And it's a great, great issue for her, uh, and it's a great issue for Batman. And uh, man, but if if Batman and Robin hadn't come out this week, I'd be talking about Batman eighteen. But there's, it's hard to talk about another Batman book when Batman and Robin eighteen mm-hmm. came out this mm-hmm. week. Uh, if you guys haven't, you know, guys haven't been reading it, you can just pick up this issue and read it because it's an experience you should definitely have. Um, uh, well, like I said, Batman and Robin 18 is our my book of the week. Really quick, just a couple quick hits here. Um, 
Uh, Buddy Cops, which is a one-shot uh, from Nate Cosby and Evan Shaner. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really funny stuff. I, I, I began the issue um, off-put by the amount of jokes being thrown at me at, at one time. Um, but after a while, I kind of fell into the rhythm of it. And it started to feel a lot to me like this, like uh, that show Archer on FX, which I oh, talked about in my oh. review. You know, he, the, the lead character's name is Uranus, and he's he's very, you know, he's he says very obnoxious things all of the time, and it can be a little bit uh, annoying. But when it hits its laughs, there, like I laughed harder at some moments in this book than I've ever laughed before reading a comic oh. book. There's just page timing. There's a reveal that they use the, you know, turning a page of, that's just the perfect comic timing reveal. You know, the book has timing, which is a tough thing to pull off in a, in a comic book. We know how fast somebody is going to read it. Uh, so definitely check that out if you guys get a chance, if you want something funny. Uh, and I want to talk about Wolverine number one uh, really, really quick. Where are my damn pants? <laughs> yes. that's, that's not Wolverine voice, but <laughs> close enough. Uh, Paul Cornell and Alan Davis. Uh, first of all, right off the bat, the book is freaking gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, y- y- this is doesn't look like any other book that Marvel's putting out right now. Um, you know, it's got a. It definitely feels, you know, like a seventies book. You know, to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, it's so detailed, and you know, Wolverine looks like exactly like I want him to look. You know, and I think I wrote in my uh, review he looks sort of like a Neil Adams Batman to me. The well, big Alan, hero, yeah. Alan Davis is uh, definitely a Neil Adams disciple. Yeah, yeah you hit that perfectly. Um. So I mean. We'll talk about the story in a second, but you were really excited about this for the art. For Alan Davis. He's yeah. one of my favorites. And again, you've got you've got character moments. He handles those well, too. Yeah. Huge action, se- action sequences, touching moments with the little boy yeah. and, and mm-hmm. the looks on his face and Wolverine back to him. Uh, the characterization by Paul Cornell is fleshed out by Alan Davis yeah. here. It's, it's a great marriage mm-hmm. between the two. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the, the, the issue is a little light on story. It's a little light on narrative. Uh, I like all the character work happening here. Like, I like all the stuff with Logan. I like the way he interacts with the little boy. I love the way he interacts with that detective who comes yeah, in. Tomu Matsu. Yeah, yeah, and it's apparently a character that Paul Cornell created. It's uh, not. It's a new character. Oh. Uh, but the, I love it. You can feel the banter between them. You can feel the energy, and I loved that. Um, and I love that he's going off to do whatever he's going to do. He's going to get his costume from behind, the, behind bar. the bar. Yeah, yeah <laughs> which is perfect. Uh, it does. Feel, it's just one scene. You know, and there's not a lot of ways into the world in this first issue, which I think for a first issue, you really need to come out of the gate firing on all cylinders. And I feel like you don't really have an end to Wolverine's world. It's like, you, okay, you guys know who Wolverine is, so let's just do Wolverine's story. It's, I'm sure that was a conscious choice. Yeah, I'm sure the other ways, Are they going to tell us that Wolverine story? Yeah. We know who Wolverine is. Let's just get on with it. Yeah. So they chose that. Yeah. Uh, my one caveat, I have one too, mm-hmm. it isn't that, it's... I don't read that much Wolverine anymore, mm-hmm. but when did he become completely indestructible <laughs> that you can basically fry all the flesh off his bones and he reforms uh, as if he's the blob or something? I'm not quite thrilled with that. It sort of takes away a little of his heroism. Mm-hmm. If he can't be killed, can't be destroyed. I know there was a there was some Hulk issue or something where he got torn in half at one point <laughs> and came back together. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be he'd get hurt right. and heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at the first movie sort of thing, yeah. not the third movie where he can be blasted apart every mm-hmm. other second. One complaint, right? And it's a minor one. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, the, I mean, see what you think of the book? Did you read it? Yeah, I did. I did, and I liked it a lot. Um, I'm a little disappointed that I liked it a lot because I Marvel now is killing me. They're killing <laughs> me. Um, so many of their of their releases since they started this whole new Marvel Now initiative have been, uh, you know, pretty rock solid 
And this is just another book. <laughs> and it's another Wolverine book. I'm already buying Savage Wolverine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm liking Savage Wolverine. I'm not in love with it. So I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see which one will win out or if I end up just collecting both through the first arc. Um, this one was really cool though. Uh, it had a twist that I enjoyed, mm-hmm. and the art was gorgeous. And I just I don't know I liked uh, I liked how centralized it was on just the one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need I know who Wolverine is. Everybody knows who Wolverine is. You don't. They could maybe do that later. Mm-hmm. Do it in a, in a couple issues, but like to to start to come out of the gate and throw you right into something and something rather bizarre, uh, yeah. I think was I think was fun. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. I'll say this: my, my I think I misspoke. What I meant to say was not that you need, need introduction to Wolverine as the character, but his the world that he he inhabits in in this comic. It's so centralized in this one issue that, like, I I have a hard time. I, I guess. I don't have I don't have any kinship with the world that he's in. You know, like you start FF, like for example, there's so much personality right off the bat there. You kind of get everything that's going on, and I'm not talking about interesting characters. I'm just talking about like, okay, I know where I am, I know what's going to happen, I know where we're going. You know, and you don't want you don't want to be able to tell where the story is going to end up, but you at least want to be like, okay, I'm in this world. These are kind of the rules of the world, or what have you. And I feel like as a first issue, this doesn't really do that. Mm-hmm. And actually, as far as interesting the character, it does a very good job because he basically says who he is to, to in the issue. You know, he's like, you know, I can heal. I'm a superhero. I'm an Avenger. You I've know, been he, in space. I've been in space. He says all of these things right off the bat. But I, I guess for me, just because it was, the story was so small. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't feel like I, I committed fully to the world that Wolverine was inhabiting in, in the issue. I think we've met his major supporting character in the right. police lieutenant. Yeah. I think you'll see her moving forward a lot. Mm. And probably this bar will end up being his, uh, Hawkeye's building, yeah. sort of thing. He has talked. Cornell has talked about introducing a, like a stable of of kind of human supporting characters that are going to fill out his his, his world. Uh, now I'm even more onto this book. <laughs> just, just you saying that if, if if this turns into a slightly more violent Hawkeye, yeah. I'll be thrilled. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about it. Uh, I was really shocked by the amount of heart that was in it. That was the thing that got me more than anything else. You know, there was very good tender moments. And you could see the pain on Wolverine's face, and you could you could like see a history of of a life mm-hmm. on his face, and that's obviously a huge credit to the the work of Alan Davis, who I've 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 read a couple issues. I think he did a couple issues of Thor, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, that Everything Burns miniseries. I think he did an issue or two there, uh, but that's really the only thing I've ever seen of his, and so this was a really revelation. For uh, me. Where you'd like to go back to if you want to see some Alan Davis's Excalibur. Okay. Which All was right. lots of Kitty Pride and Captain Britain, and you had some Kurt Wagner and whatever. Just really great stuff from you know twenty five years or so. But All right. Classic. Very very cool. All right. So those are our books of the week. Uh, we're gonna take a little break, and we're gonna come back and discuss a varying degree of topics. And uh, this week on Twitter, I put out the call. I said, hey, look, uh, looking for topics for this week's show. And we got a, re- a, a bunch of really good ones. Uh, um, and so I, I printed out a bunch of them, and we're just going to go th- through a couple of them. Uh, we also have some listener questions that we that, that I got. So we got a little smorgasbord here. Uh, 
smorgasbord. The the first thing I want to go I want to go over, and this is one of those ones that hit me as a very as a great topic for a show, and this is from uh, the Sleep Drifter on Twitter, uh, and he wants he wants to talk about us talk about sex and violence in comics, why violence is accepted but sex is not. Bob, why don't you start out? <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's sort of that way with movies too, yeah, right? So with you, everything, it's that so way with everything. It's just carrying that through to the the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything has now ramped up, so it's now even further. Where it wasn't just superheroes being a bank robbers. Mm-hmm. We're now into impalements and guttings and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. Uh, but when you do see Catwoman, you know, straddling Batman, it does seem more shocking than mm-hmm. Batman knocking someone's teeth out. Right. And that's just societal. Yeah. We have to change everything, not just comics. I think a lot of this was brought up, too, because when Sex came out, mm-hmm. uh, the Joe Casey book, uh, you couldn't buy it on Comixology on, like, the iOS devices. Apple banned it from the store. They wouldn't let them sell it. You could go on the web and buy it from the Comixology store, yeah. uh, but you couldn't buy it on Apple devices. Uh, and I know that Joey Esposito, who runs IGN Comics, has been a guest on this show before, You know, was very upset by that. And uh, I, I said this, uh, it's been a problem you know, forever with American culture, You know, where a culture that is based on a puritanical society. Mm-hmm. And so the sexual stuff always gets people... Uh, how far away we get from it and how many sexual revolutions we go through, it always gets people tighter th- than violence. Um, you know, uh, in a different way, this was addressed way back when they did the South Park movie, which was they had a problem with, you know, bad language, but, you know, all this violence w- w- yeah. was fine. So uh, it- it's wrong. I mean, it's absolutely, it's, it's a backwards way of thinking. Yeah. To to be have it acceptable that you can, you know, uh, you know, People can get ripped in half, or somebody can get punched to death, or somebody can get hit with a you know a crowbar and killed, or stabbed to the heart with a sword, and that's big news and in a good way, you know. And the fact that sex in a comic is is uh, seen you know as a detriment to a book or something we talk negatively about uh, is is a, definitely a problem. You know, sexually handed badly is not any better than you know, violence handled badly. Mm-hmm. And the stuff in Catwoman we talked about is handled badly. But but there's plenty of violence handled badly and we're much more we're much more apt to look past it than we are. Mm-hmm. Like we'll mm-hmm. on this show we'll talk about it. We'll be like, oh it's it's a little too violent. But that's all we'll say. You know, and we won't and when we talk about book that book going forward, we won't always call back to that little thing we had wrong with it. But Catwoman, that's all, we talk about it every almost, you know, every other show yeah. we talk about it. And so, you know, what's worse, Catwoman having cleavage or, you know... Uh, Catwoman whipping someone across the face with a bullwhip. Exactly, yeah. which would be like, that's awesome! Look, yeah. she's so tough, you know? So, I don't, I don't know, Steve, what, what do you think about it? Well, I think it's that, um, for, um, for, and on, in reference to the, the sex book by Joe Casey, um, the sex in that book is, uh, for all intents and purposes, very graphic. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, your standard... It's not only not only do you get full frontal nudity, but there are you no know, sexual acts being performed within the book right. um, that are very very uh, sensationalized for the scene that they that they take place. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons I don't necessarily agree that you should limit uh, how it's released. But that's a whole other mm-hmm. that's a whole other topic for a show. <laughs> so um, I really think that it's just that sex is still 
so taboo within society, which I think is strange, and I think they might have it backwards because sex is a natural act mm-hmm. uh, between between two people and um, or multiples. If you're <laughs> you're into that kind of thing, if you're but, a lucky person, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. But you know, like 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 this, the sex is natural, whereas the violence is something that needs to be. I mean. You make the presumably anyway. You make the decision to cause violence, mm-hmm. and violence is something that is has been also so sensationalized by comics, by movies, by video games that I think it's just become uh, more uh, more normal to have it uh, within the culture. And honestly. Because the the news, I don't watch the news. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I talked about this uh, off air that, you know, I, I feel like a moron when I see things being talked about in the news or everybody on Twitter is all, you know, flustered about something going on. And I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, I don't watch the news because it depresses me. Mm-hmm. And anything that I hear or see on the news is so much more violent and so much more screwed up than any than anything that any video game, any comic could ever present to me. Um, I'm able to make the distinction that it's a comic book, that it's a video game, that it's a movie. This is these are actors. You know, once the once the guy yells cut, they're apologizing to one <laughs> another. You know. Mm-hmm. Um but with everything going on, I mean you have rapes, you have murders, you have uh, just terrorist acts and all kinds of things. It's really become such a part of everyday culture that I think that it's kind of shrugged off. And when it comes to to comics, I mean, there's always been a certain level of violence within them, but it's been comic violence. There used to be comic <laughs> violence. I mean, that still key exists, word, I think. Yep. but it's more rare. The further along we get into this, with more independent companies releasing books, uh, you get more extreme presentations of things that um, I think the lines on violence are very blurred. And sex is still seen as something that everyone, you know, not everyone's supposed to see Mm -hmm. people having sex or people being intimate. You know, whether it's a a man and a woman or God forbid, it's a, you know, a male and a male or a woman and a woman. It's just... It's one of those things that people are still trying to protect others from. And there's also the misconception that comic books are uh, geared towards children, which I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, I think the readership now is primarily adult. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, I'm surprised that the uh, the sexual aspects of comics are not more accepted or that there isn't more of it yeah you know there aren't more books like sex or like black kiss too mm-hmm. you know pe- pe- books that take it to an extreme that there's not more of a crowd for that yet yeah i mean the thing too is is we're still in the the problem with dealing with stuff in comic books is that it's still in this point where it has to be extreme it seems to even be there i mean there are exceptions obviously like saga deals in sexuality very heavily and there there is nudity and there's you know there's strong implications of eroticism in in, in saga in nearly every issue you know mm-hmm. but uh so that that's an exception to to, to that rule but it's also very tasteful it is very tasteful but <laughs> You know, that's the eye of the beholder, though, the, the tastefulness of it. I mean, the... Yeah, Pat Robertson wouldn't think it was Yeah, tasteful. no. But, you know, the fact that, you know, Black Kiss 2 is yeah. extremely graphic, extreme, and it's it's meant to 
stir something up. You know, that's kind of the purpose of books like that. Yeah. The difference between what comics are doing and, you know, video games are in the same area that comics are when it comes to this kind of storytelling. Movies, you know, when there's a sex scene in the movie, unless it's like somebody like Selena Gomez, who who used to be a young, you know, like Disney Channel actress and is now in the area where she's trying to break away from that. And she's doing a sex scene in a movie that's coming out. It becomes a big deal. Everybody's talking she has about a it. sex scene in Spring Breakers? Yeah. yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Yes, she does. Damn. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, that's people talk about it, but for the most part, there's there's sex scenes in so many movies and different degrees of sex scenes. The ones that are really really over the top and crazy are talked about, but the general ones that are you know people you know you know you don't see anything and then there's like up it, against the wall yeah and then the camera you know pans away or whatever that happens all of the time in movies and you know it's a it's an older art form now than you know than a lot of this other stuff so it it, it has learned along the way to be different but it, you shouldn't have to have these big crazy things that shove in people's faces you know for it to be accepted it should be able just to be okay in this book in revival let's say there's going to be a sex scene you know and it, it's going to be about two characters who found each other who have fallen in love or were just looking to get you know uh their frustration out or whatever you know the 10,000 reasons people have sex and then they just do it and then it moves on you know the book doesn't have to be about it, it I think a lot of it is because there's a, a, an arrested development to to people who read comic books. I'm not saying that everybody, but a general thing. It's like you don't just want – they don't – in a superhero comic, they don't – they want to see the guy punch the bad guy. And they might like to see like the very movie – old movie romance aspect of it where it's all very pristine and proper and – you know, and there's no rough patches and there's no warts and there's nothing wrong. You know, it's very much like we're going to hold hands and walk off into the sunset kind of thing. But once sex gets involved, they either start giggling, you know, or if it's if, if it's tender and nice, they'll start giggling or they'll be like, they'll be like, yeah, fuck yeah. If it's like really extreme, like the Catwoman <laughs> yeah. stuff and neither of those reactions are mature reactions to sexual acts. So, well, it is a bizarre double standard in that. Well, let's say more often than not, the sex act is a loving act between two people. Yeah, yeah. And, and violence is almost never oh, yeah, a yeah. loving act between two people. Yeah. So Sex can create life, and violence very much often takes life. Yeah. So I, I don't know what it is about it. And don't get me wrong, I, I like violence in media. Like I like watching shows that are violent. I like watching movies that are violent. I, I, I love reading comics that have violence in them. I love action scenes. You know, and sometimes I'll, I'll even, I even enjoy seeing, you know... Like I, I've watched, I watch torture porn movies. Sometimes I've seen all the Saw movies. I've seen awesome <laughs> movies. Said it really wrong for a second. That's what they're called. Yeah. They're called torture porn movies. And you know, there's some, there's some sort of enjoyment you get out of seeing the extremes of, of life in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but you it's know, voyeurism. It's voyeur. It absolutely well, is voyeurism. We, we're dealing with a voyeuristic culture with a yeah. voyeuristic product. As mm-hmm. long as to me, I'm the the Puritan of the bunch in some ways, but. To me, if it's in an appropriate setting for the the appropriate audience, go for it. Yeah, it's what's the I problem? I also think it's because we're we're approaching these subjects as adults. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, like I'd be curious to ask Mike fifteen years ago myself what he thinks on this topic. Well, but again, but like 15, 16 year old Steve is like you know that guy has the right to be immature about sex because he's a kid, you know, uh, and, and yeah. I. That doesn't matter, and I think, but you know, and this is a bigger societal thing. But I think it needs to be taught to children, you know, and how young is up for debate. That you know, sex is an okay, natural thing that can be very, Mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, invigorating and, and, and can increase your confidence and can make your outlook on life better. And you need to teach people from a young age that this isn't not a secret thing you hide away from people. And it feels people. good too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not a secret thing you need to hide away. It's not a dirty thing that needs to be hidden away. And I think that this, that is the seed of what creates all of this in, in comic books, yes. in movies, in TV, mm-hmm. this, this feeling that people have when they see something happen and they get that that uncomfortable feeling or that giggly feeling or that you know that anger feeling towards it you just you you your generation of people raised thinking it's dirty and and, and and should be keep hidden kept hidden away and so when they see it out in the open they get really uncomfortable but considering european comics are much more free right. with this sort of stuff mm-hmm. is is more american than anything mm-hmm. else oh it's is very it american yeah. oh yeah it's it's extremely american Talking I mean, like, comics, proud supporters of sex and violence. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we the, we wouldn't be talking about comic books if, if there was no violence. So that's true. They would not mm, exist if little, not little, for violence, and that would be the end of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> be covering a very finite spectrum of comic book reading. If that. What were the did case. Archie do this week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he cheated on Veronica. No. No. <laughs> um, Fine question. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's it's a very big topic, and it, you know it goes much like we said much deeper. Than just comic books. Um, let's see what else we got here. <laughs> but we'll go. We'll go a little, uh, little lighter for this next one. Oh, good. Um, so this is uh, this is going to be, I think, a, a relatively easy one for the jerk reaction of uh, the knee jerk. Why reaction. are you looking at me? When no, you not say I mean knee jerk reaction. But I want to talk <laughs> about it too. What's been the better relaunch, the DC New Fifty Two or the Marvel Now? Marvel Now. Marvel Now, of course. Uh, I, I think that in terms of overall quality for me, uh, Marvel Now, I think that we've been talking about it these last couple of weeks, and uh, it definitely has has been a revelation in a lot of ways for a lot of their titles, and a lot of titles that, again, I never would have read if it hadn't been for it. Uh, but I know we've said it many times before, this show wouldn't exist without the DC New 52. Yes. <clears throat> uh, and... It, I would not literally, really would probably not be reading comics right now if it hadn't been for the DC 52 uh, image, DC or Marvel. Yeah. So for me, uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for the DC relaunch because of that fact. Well, yeah. I mean, I have, I certainly have a soft spot in my heart for it uh, for that reason as well. But I mean, now that we've had a little bit of time, well, a lot of time with the DC over a year and, you know, some time with Marvel now. I just find that I'm more excited Mm -hmm. to read the Marvel Now uh, relaunch titles than I am to read DC. I'm still enjoying my DC books, the ones that I'm still reading, very, very much so. Um, You know, you all, if you listen Mm -hmm. to the show, you know the titles, Animal Man, Swamp Thing, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, that have been really good and really solid, and they're great books, and I, I enjoy them very much. But my pull list has... You know, my my DC pull list has suffered quite a bit because of the Marvel now. And my, you know, used to be that DC and Image were my my primary targets. These days, more than half of my pile is Marvel. That's both on the quality and for the fact that Marvel just has so many damn books (laughs) coming out every week. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I find I have more fun with the Marvel books. I, I, I feel lighter and cheerier when (laughs) even if it's a dark book from marvel it's still very colorful it's still you know there are moments in it and whatever with dc i feel like whenever i'm reading a dc book that i'm entering into a very dark place a very dark universe and i don't i'm not always in the mood for that 
let's just say look, DC, it's a success. They sold books they never would have before. Uh, there are some highlights in quality, certainly the Snyder Batman mm. uh, and some of the other Bat books. But we've seen lots of books canceled already, books falling off the charts, new launches. Superman is still a mess mm -hmm. for the most part. Justice League is just sort of picking up after very fallow period. Yeah. A lot of things not going well. They have carved out a place for themselves. That they might have been passed by image at this point mm -hmm. if they hadn't have done this. Um, so on that level, it's certainly a success. They, they have people paying attention. They sold some books and they put themselves back in the game. Will they be able to continue that without second-tier titles? They have A titles and mm -hmm. D titles. Yeah. And unless they give some of them a chance, they're never going to... Are they going to keep doing 52? We've discussed this. Yeah. Is it going to be 40, mm -hmm. 60, 80? Who knows? Yeah. What do you, what's your feeling here, boss? Uh, you know, I think that with the DC stuff, uh, you know, we, you mentioned Superman, and it seems like they are... They know... You know, I think they realize the problem with Superman, mm -hmm. and I think they are trying to correct those things. I mean, we have the Snyder one, obviously, coming up that we talked about. We have the Adventures of Superman uh, digital book with outside the Orson Scott card uh, controversy. We is full of great creators mm -hmm. uh, who are going to be doing some work on, on the book. Uh, <clears throat> you have Andy Diggle and Tony Daniel taking over action, which, as much as I love Grant Morrison, I, I, you know, I did not like reading his action comics month to month, and I think they'll provide a uh, kind of a more fun uh, Superman story for people to take in. Uh, so I think they obviously have the properties to do the work, you know, on what they're doing. I, I think that, as Steve said, I think they've gotten too focused on everything feeling the same way. And, you know, they've always they've been a company that has always reacted to what Marvel has done, and I think they will react in in a similar fashion. I think they're going to see how well this Marvel Now relaunch has gone, and I think they will course correct. A little bit and start imbuing some more fun into into their books. Uh, th their problem is they have some really great writers there, absolutely, and and they do a very good job of pulling indie writers into their stable. I, I you know, um, but I I feel like except for at the very top of their list, they do not have the depth of, of talent that that Marvel has. You know, you, you list off these books we're talking about and. We're, you're buying all these books, and you know, obviously, Bendis is writing a bunch of books. But other than him, you know, you, you know, somebody's writing two books, maybe, and you have you're buying so many Marvel books by so many different people that it's amazing, you know, you you, know, you and your who your favorite Marvel writer is changes, you know, yeah. from month to month, you know, where whether it's Fraction or Hickman or if you're a Bendis fan, you know, uh, you know, or you're a Paul Cornell fan, or you know whoever if yeah. you're you know this laundry list rick remender you yeah. know jeff parker or kelly jeff parker, or, or, J jason aaron you know yeah. you, you colin bond yeah. yeah colin you have this list of people that it, it, you know it, it's shifting all the time and then over dc don't get me wrong uh, scott snyder and jeff lemire might, might be my two favorite writers in comic books but after you get done with them it becomes a much murkier area with dc you know i love jh williams uh you know gail i love simone, gail, i love gail yeah. simone um but there's a lot of other, other Marvel writers probably in my mind who I put over those two people and they're probably, you know, Jeff Johns, obviously, you know, but there's probably, they're probably farther down the list behind a bunch of Marvel writers. And for me, that's what it comes down to. It's the talent, you know, it's the writers and the artists as well. I mean, there's good artists at DC, don't get me wrong, but we don't get the variety of stuff we're getting at Marvel. You know, there's nothing that looks like FF 
Oh, over at, over at DC, no, you or know, Hawkeye or, or Hawkeye. Yeah. Like that's what, well, kind of what my point was about yeah. the DC universe is I feel like everything is always drenched in shadow. Mm-hmm. Everybody, it's always, whenever I see somebody in a DC book, it's always that like dark, you know, almost statuesque stance. Mm-hmm. Like I think of um, the uh, JSA, the Justice League of America, number mm-hmm. one that uh, came out. That image of Hawkman, mm-hmm. when you first see Hawkman with like all the shadows coming down on yeah. his armor, and he's just standing there. I mean, he looks like a badass. Right. And in that book, he is a badass. Mm-hmm. They make him out to be one. But that, to me, is like the quintessential image of what DC Comics are all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, God forbid you read a Green Lantern book where there's actually some color mm-hmm. going on because of the spectrum of colors yeah. that they use. Mm-hmm. But... And not to say that there aren't colors in DC books. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. But, you know, they all... It's like we said about how that that universe itself, it all, like, a lot of the art, it all they all seem to... You know, it's like... Uh, I'm trying to think of a really good analogy, but I, I can't. Just... Mm-hmm. All right. A bunch of... This is, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. A We're bunch ready. of A bunch of moths flying around the same light bulb. Okay. Just the same mm-hmm. light source. They're all fluttering up against it, bashing up against it, and it just all feels the same to mm-hmm. me. Like they they said, like they sat all the artists down in the room and they said, "We all know you're a bunch of talented people, but listen, because of you know for continuity's sake and for the sake of creating a universe, we want you guys to all be within the confines of this approach to the comics, this mm-hmm. artistry and this way of doing things." So that everybody feels like it's all a part of the same universe, even though we're not going to really bring them together mm-hmm. very well. We want the art at least to still convey this sense of that it's all happening right. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't you don't need that diversity in talent mm-hmm. is what's making the Marvel now relaunch so much fun. Yeah. Well, I've, I had this feeling that the the movie. Uh, fortunes of the two companies dc had standalone characters that did nothing marvel went sailing past Mm -hmm. them when they decided to have their movie universe replicate their silver age comic universe Mm -hmm. everyone's in new york and Mm -hmm. you never know who's going to show up where and i think in some ways now the comic companies are reflecting their movies Mm -hmm. marvel now as we talked about them being sort of cinematic you could jump in from the movies and Mm -hmm. see recognizable characters and attitudes and the DC books are Christopher Nolan's Batman across the line. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's grim and serious and mm. deadly and mm. <laughs> right. don't take a deep breath. You know, something bad could happen. Mm. Bum, bum, bum. I, right, exactly. I do want you know, to be to be fair, I do want to say that there are artists that stand out at DC that are different. Obviously, J, we mentioned J.H. Williams. Mm-hmm. His art does not look like the other books. Um, uh, Yannick Paquette. Yannick Paquette. I mean, but he, yes, but he's dark you know that's a, there's a very yeah, but i mean some of those some of those swamp yeah. thing issues are really yeah. psychedelic and very 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 colorful um you know uh, francis manipole on the flash like not only is that mm-hmm. stuff different looking it, it's extremely colorful and extremely bright um th- that the stuff is very different uh and uh, there was another artist i had in my head that is now escaping me which i'm sure i will think of oh well i mean you know what Capullo does is not doesn't look like you know the the standard like house style. It's obviously no. dark, but it, you know it has its very specific look to it. So there are people, I'm, there are artists there that get to do their thing, but it's just it doesn't. You don't get the books do not feel as different as the Marvel books do, uh, and I, I think that like always, uh, Marvel is ahead. It's, it's just a step ahead. You know, they're a step ahead with this. They're a step ahead with their digital stuff. I just think that they're a company that 
knows that they have the advantage, and so they know that wherever they go, you know, DC is gonna is gonna try to follow behind them in, in some way, and so they kind of have that lead. Um, and, you know, Marvel now didn't make as many as much waves, uh, you know, as when they relaunched the DC stuff, but it sold just about as well. You know, you have books selling hundred thousand copies, two hundred thousand copies uh, when they come out. So it's it, it, it it's uh. We'll have to see, but I think Marvel Down definitely has the advantage. I think yes. that's what we're trying to say. All right. Um, here's another one. Um, and this is cool because it's not necessarily all uh, uh, to do with comics, but uh, Hassan uh, Barada says, everyone reads stories and series that stay with them forever. What story? What are the stories that have impacted you the most personally? And this could be comics, movies, TV, any medium. Hmm. I think it's a very interesting question. Um, oh, by the way, I want to say that that question about DC or Marvel is from Matthew Cooper. I wanted to give him okay. credit for that question. The author whose works I've read the most isn't an author. It's Stan Lee, probably. Right. But, <laughs> uh, but that's just solely through this. Uh, I had a ninth grade teacher who decided one Friday afternoon that he was tired of teaching the same crap. We were on the second floor. He opened the window and threw all his books into the parking lot. <laughs> and we came in Monday to a new set of reading material. And it was like H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> Orwell, Huxley. We still read Steinbeck and Hemingway mm-hmm. and Twain. We went to plays in the city. We did things. So I got exposed to a lot of what we classics and new classics, Ray Bradbury and mm-hmm. science fiction and all those sort of things. So to pick one out of a list like that, can't. Right. But I will give my props to Mr. James Sullivan from J. Taylor Finley Jr. High School back in 1970. That's funny because my... my um my, one of my inspirations is actually a teacher as well. Um, I had, uh, I believe it was, I want to say ninth grade. My ninth grade English teacher, his name was Mr. Newcomb. Uh, he was an inspiring person. Like he, w- he was a teacher out of right out of a movie in a sense of that he, I remember one thing that he did that I thought was spectacular. Not only did he engage us with really great books but one of the things that he did was he took we had this kid i'm not going to use his name but we had this kid in our class who wasn't the popular guy he was kind of overweight he was kind of you know whatever um not mr popular and then we had i will use her name christine (laughs) christine was is i'm still friends with her gorgeous Mm -hmm. absolutely just stunningly gorgeous Prettiest girl in the school. Um, very, very sweet girl. Very awesome. Cheerleader, the whole bit. Um, just a spectacular person. When we did Romeo and Juliet, he made this guy, uh, he was the Romeo and she was uh, the Juliet. And he had them enact scenes in front of the class. She was totally cool. She, li- she liked mm-hmm. him. She thought he was a really cool guy. But he purposefully set it up so that this guy would be like would have his moment in front of everyone and get to literally kiss on the cheek. He asked <laughs> Christine's permission ahead of time because he kind of planned it. But he he made this guy the hero of the day in front of everyone. Um, and that was kind of what prompted me to get really into reading and get into writing. Um, he was also the person who pushed uh, for me to get a couple of writing awards when I was in high school. Um, and he also turned me on to Clive Barker, and uh, it's funny, Stephanie uh, from the podcast just uh, brought uh, gifts back for everybody at the podcast, and she got me the graphic novelization of Clive Barker's uh, Thief, of, uh, Thief of Always, my absolute favorite book of all time. 
it's what got me started in uh, writing and just reading more fantasy novels and such. Um, so that that book, that story uh, impacted me probably the most out of anything. But as far as comics, like things that are emotionally charged, I mean, we've talked about some of these books a lot on the show, but um, I Kill Giants from Joe Kelly uh, absolutely just, you know, blew me away. Uh, especially within the final issues of uh, just how much of a of a impact that that that, that book had on me. Uh, a lot of Jeff Lemire stuff. Uh, I've said this online before. I've never cried because of a comic book, but if anybody's gotten me to the to the brink, it's Jeff Lemire, and uh, more so than any other book, it was uh, Essex County, the end of book two of Essex County. I. I did not cry, but I broke into a thousand pieces uh, while reading that book. That book stayed with me because it just, it proved to me how powerful a, a comic book can be. And it just decimated any kind of false uh, impressions or false assumptions that people that aren't into comics might have about them. Um, I gave my mom the underwater welder to read uh, late last year. Mm -hmm. She'd never read a comic book in her life. Now she actually reads comics. If I let her borrow stuff, she reads things. Um, so that opened up, you know, a door for her, and that was really cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm sure there's much more, but I'm going to let Bobby mm -hmm. take his uh, his turn. Um, I read a lot when I was a kid. You know, I, I, I was obsessed with learning how to read when I was really young. Like, I, we, I, I had this book. It was this really, it was a book on tape that it was supposed to teach you how to read. And I had, I memorized it when I was a kid before mm. I could read, and people would come over and I would just like look at the book and start reading it out, and they'd be like, "Oh my God, can he read?" And I, no, it's mm. no, I just memorized it. Um, so and I and quickly when I started reading, I became obsessed with reading um, series of things. Like I, I, I since a, since a very young age, I've been obsessed with big long, you know, narratives and, and stories. You know, and I remember how excited I was when I first read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that there was a second book, that there was Charlie and the Great Glass mm -hmm. Elevator, you know? Uh, and at that point, Roald Dahl was a huge uh, influence on me when I was a kid, you know, reading. And that those books always stick with me because I would go to the library and just get them out, you know, all of them. I read all of them multiple times. Uh, you know, he's kind of... At the time, I didn't realize this, but I loved the the... the how great his characters were and but how tweaked all his worlds were. And that's that, always say with me, I love those slightly tweaked worlds. It's why I grew up loving Tim Burton movies. You know, it's all that sort of that, that feeling and that world. Um, you know, uh, and the, there are like, there are certain books that are pretty big touchstones, uh, you know, for me. And I remember reading uh, Great Expectations um, in junior high, I believe it was. And, Actually, at the time, really not liking it. I, I, I remember complaining to my father about it, how corny it was that all these people knew each other and ran into mm -hmm. each other in some way that everything was connected. And he kind of told me, you know, that's the beauty of it, you know, that everything is connected and all together. And, you know, after Remat again, then I read Tale of Two Cities uh, in high school. And I kind of, and I, lo I loved that book when nobody else in my class <laughs> liked it, you know, and I was obsessed with the way things were connected. Uh, in that way, you know, but I think the thing that it's something, this is going off the classic literature, the thing that really has influenced my dramatic sense ever 
is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is the television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. It came out, you know, I think I was 12-ish, I think 12 or 13 when that series premiered. And uh, Joss Whedon's way of telling stories and, you know, in the guise of these big sci-fi fantasy horror uh, trappings, but really these little character stories about, you know, dealing with being a teenager, dealing with losing your, your parents, dealing with losing a friend, you know, dealing with being just different. Uh, those things always stuck with me. And, you know, it, the way he used humor to subvert these horrible situations, you know, it reminded me so much, even though it was tweaked, of life. How, you know, you're at a funeral and people are making jokes, you know, and that's something that I think people forget when they're when they're writing a lot of a lot of writers and it kind of shaped the way that I always thought about stuff and the way I always write uh, from then on. Um, but there's like I said, like Stephen King, obviously has has influenced me a lot. I mean, I've talked about Lost several times. I read a lot of Stephen King. When yeah, I was growing up a lot. Stephen King, you know, the, his his endings aren't usually that great because and you and you and you read his and you read his autobiography and you know why it's because he basically just starts writing and he goes, I want these characters take me where they're going to take me. Um, but the way he writes characters and the and the plots he comes up with are just some of the. I, I think he gets discounted because he's so popular, but he, I, he's so good at writing characters. It's amazing. I, I think people forget that because think think, think of a, a horror writer and that's it. But it's his stories are all character driven, uh, like yeah, the some stuff misery which has yeah. two characters. In yeah, it. yeah. But the stuff in it, like it is, it, they, they think of you know they think of a scary clown. But the book is this epic. You know, thing that spans generations and, and is about our fears and our loves and getting over things that when we were young and that stuff. Same with the stand. The stand is this giant book that just deals with all of this stuff. And those narratives have that's, always been the that thing. Was great. That's my I favorite. I still can't thing. believe I've never read it and I've never seen oh. the movie. Oh, really? You should read the book. The, the book read is. The book. Uh, I have it. It's so long, but you it doesn't feel like it's as long. Read, it in, a, read in a weekend when it was oh, well. lent to me. I just couldn't stop. Yeah. I read. I actually read uh, Desperation. In oh, yeah? five hours. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was like 1,138 pages. Yeah, something yeah, like yeah. That. he's, a, he's the one. king of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I remember the day that I sat down to read that, and I I just I killed it. In about mm-hmm. five or six hours, I was done with it. It was yeah. amazing. His uh, his Dark Tower books I, 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 are, are breathtaking for the most part. There's a couple of low points. They're written over a very long period of time, but uh, really great stuff. A book called Insomnia, which is not one of his bigger books, is like... Uh, the the things he deals with they're just these ideas that you you don't know how they come into his head and then you know more more recently I mean I'm, my ch- tastes are always getting shaped by things I mean it, is, it seems like a joke but the, the Harry Potter series is it's not a joke I I know but a lot of people will take it as like you know I mean but that that series is so well written and came up, came about I started reading that series in a point in my life when I was leaving high school and going to college and it was the perfect thing you know, mm-hmm. for, for a transition for that. And it meant so much to me. And it was also something I shared with a lot of very, very close friends, you know, and, yeah. and that shared experience of, you know, we would get the book and we'd take it home and we would read it in a less than a day because we knew if we didn't, we had nothing to talk about w- with everyone else, you know, for a week. So <laughs> we had, we had to finish reading it. And the lovely bones as well is a book I read maybe only five or six years ago. Uh, one of the most emotionally affecting things I've ever read in my entire life. Hmm. Uh, n- the movie is not very good, but the book is spectacular. Well, now, having had a couple of minutes to think, do you mind if I throw oh, in? Oh, go ahead, sure. Bob, yeah. Um, of Mice and Men, Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. I the was, ending of that I is was gonna say that. still I was gonna say that. Uh, heart-wrenching. 
Uh, Death of a Salesman, same sort of idea, yeah. which is, I, I, it seems like I read that once a year. Uh, Inherit the Wind. Mm-hmm. And recently, uh, our friend of the show, Sarah Bell, had me read A Room with a View, E.M. Forster, which I had never read. Just I'm not reading that. Mm. I'm bowling at the end of this thing. <laughs> I just I, I never encountered these characters before, and it just out of nowhere... You know, literature still has a certain power that, that, oh, yeah. that movies and television mm-hmm. don't. It's you and this work. I don't yeah. read enough books. We, you read so much, though. That's a, yeah. I thought, I thought that same thing. I don't, okay, I, I don't read enough books that don't have pictures. I them. get that. <laughs> but I thought about it, too. I was like, but I probably read more in the last year than I've ever read in my entire life. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know? certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's something great uh, you know, about books and the, and the way they, they can transport you and, and like, rely on your imagination. Let me ask you this. Should I and I'll ask our audience too. Should I read Game of Thrones? See, that's a good. I have friends who read it and they get on me because I'm not reading it. Yeah, but it's like the one geek thing in my entire life where I don't know what's going to happen, and I <sighs> love watching the show and being able to be surprised by the show because listen, I love Lord of the Rings. I read those books six times. Uh, I love the movies. When I'm watching the movies, I'm basically going okay. Let's see how they do this thing in my head, you know? And I'm like, okay, are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? Same with the Harry Potter movies. Same with all the other stuff. Game of Thrones, I'm just in there. I'm I'm on the ride, you know? Well, that's where I am. I mean, I've seen seasons one and two, and then uh, it starts again at the end of this month. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I really, I love the show so much Mm -hmm. that I want more now. Yeah, I know. But I I feel like, I just, I don't know if I should take the leap. And I also have heard that it's like a huge undertaking. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I would say the one book that where, wow, how are they going to do that? That paid off totally, completely. Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. When you true. read the novel, it's like, oh, yeah, it's dinosaurs. I've seen dinosaur mm-hmm. movies. I've seen a million of them. Not like that. I love that movie <laughs> so much. Awesome. Are we yeah. going in 3D? I would. Oh, I'm totally, <laughs> totally going. Oh, I yeah. saw in the IMAX uh, the 3D trailer for it, and it was. Awesome. It was awesome. I will totally be there. Uh yeah, I mean, that movie I, I I remember clearly like speaking of things that you that stick with you, I remember clearly seeing that movie as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember I came home I came to New York for the summer, because uh, I didn't live here and my uncle took me out to go see it and I went crazy for it, you know? And it just keeps saying they look so real. Yeah. Like you know my my favorite part and what was I was so happy was in the trailer. Um, was when they're they're driving away from the Tyrannosaurus mm-hmm. chasing the Jeep, and he in the rear in the side view mirror, he gets right up in there, yeah. and that was in the trailer. Yeah, and oh. I was just like, "Oh, she's gonna eat me!" No, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, that there's stuff like that definitely that that sticks with me, you know, tremendously. I remember sitting in the theater and going crazy about that. I read that book as well. In like I think I read it in like four days, um, and I, I was like ten, you know. And there's like chaos theory and stuff in yeah. that book, but uh, yeah, there, the, you know, a lot of those things. Like there's obviously a lot of emotional stuff that sticks with me, but there's also just like touchstones, just of I guess awesomeness that stick with me, you know. Uh, and w- when other things just kind of float away, but stuff like that just stays uh, in my head completely. Um, Hell of so, a question. Who yeah. asked that question again? That's a. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, that's uh, Hassan Barada. Thank you, Hassan. I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, uh, uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, a light question here. Uh, Sean Douglas wants to know our thoughts uh, on reading something in graphic novel form and collected trade and reading it uh, week to week, month to month. Bob, hmm. what do you think? 
I was discussing this with someone just the other day oh, wow. without even knowing the question was coming. Um, even regular comic book story arcs, I find more enjoyable one at a time, though mm-hmm. I just did read Children's Crusade, which mm-hmm. played very nicely as a lump. Uh, I find a lot of the indie sci-fi mystery things work better as longer works read in one sitting or one presentation. You kind of lose the threads of some of these things month to month and end up having to go back and reread the one you did last month to pick up where you came. Mm-hmm. Uh, so broad answers, superheroes, month to month, other things, traits. Mm. Steve, what about you? Um, I personally, I like having things collected. Like I, like I was talking about it earlier that I just read like uh, Greg Rucka's whole Punisher run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a ride. Like it was from that very first issue. That that first issue is spectacular. Um, definitely going to make a list or two uh, <laughs> towards the end of the year, as far as like reads of this year. I know mm-hmm. it didn't come out this year, but anyway, <laughs> um, I have a. I, I do not have the best brain uh, in a sense of that. I partied a lot in college, and I'm a very forgetful person in certain ways. And if if I find that if a comic has, if I'm reading an arc, if it's like six issues, that it's going to be one overall thing, um, I kind of like to read it collected. If if it's like a one and done, or if they're you know one to two issue arcs and little finite things, I don't mind. But um, I think it has a lot to do. Not so much that I'm that I'm forgetful because there are certain things that I'm you know very passionate about that I remember, but. Um, we just read so damn much mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Seriously. Like, you know, you're talking like, what, 20, anywhere from 26 to maybe like 41 or 42 books a week, mm-hmm. if not more than <laughs> that, depending on how much time you have, that a lot of stuff gets crammed in there. And I feel like for everything that I read, something else gets pushed out. Yeah. And when we're talking about books, that's why I like doing a couple of books, you know, for the favorite books of the week, because hearing you guys talk about issues that I might have been like, yeah, it was okay. Mm. And then, you know, you had the time to focus on it and you had the time to analyze it, whereas I read it, I enjoyed it, I moved on. Then on hearing it again, I'm like, oh, now I have to go back Mm. and I have to reread it and kind of, you know, read it with a a fresh set of eyes and uh, a new frame of mind. But um, I don't know. I love having stuff collected. I find that I get more enjoyment out of the story when it's all collected. And I also find that I remember it a lot better when it's all collected. Yeah. Um, especially for books that are on strange schedules and disappear. Like for as much as we complain about the double dipping, mm-hmm. I can tell you everything you need to know about these double dip Marvel <laughs> series. I can't tell you for shit what happened with some of the other books that haven't come out in forever. That brilliant. Mm-hmm. Brian Michael Bendis yeah. is brilliant. I barely remember one of my favorite series on the shelf that has did not come out by the way whispers <laughs> but, oh. oh my god where the hell is that book yeah I don't remember I know the the general premise but I've lost my rhythm mm-hmm. months ago for what was going on that I feel like picking up issue number five is is gonna feel so cold mm-hmm. to me that I'm gonna same thing with um mind the gap. I'm like four or five issues behind on Mind the Gap. I know for a fact that I cannot 
pick up the newer issues or even start from where I left off, I have to go back to the beginning mm-hmm. because it won't have the same level of satisfaction to it as if I'm like, oh, I'll fill in the pieces. Mm-hmm. No, I won't. Right. <laughs> you know, even if I read the thing at the beginning, it's it's a synopsis. It's not all the all the details that you need. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I kind of agree with you, Bob. Uh, it's less about like the superhero aspect of it or it's just the kind of story being told for me. If it's a... If it's a uh, a story that very much over six issues is one big story, I sometimes enjoy reading that as as a whole in in one time. But something like Hawkeye, I would much rather read month to month because Hawkeye is very self contained and yeah. very you know this is an awesome little blip with Hawkeye. And don't get me wrong, I think it'll be great to sit down and read all of them. But it, there's something great about just like the little joy bomb every month of picking mm-hmm. up Hawkeye, knowing it's gonna be great, and you put it down and you move on to something else. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I like as much as I love Saga, I am only reading it in chunks whenever the trades come out. So I do I do that with with those books. Um, but I agree with you, Stevie. Man, when books take a long time to come out, it gets really tough. Like the thing, I I've stopped reading Morning Glories, and I'm just going to read it when it comes out in trade because it comes out so sporadically that I just lo- I lost the thread, you yeah. know. And I and and you what you lose for me is less about the story and more I lose that desire. To keep reading it, I right. lose that. Oh my god, the morning glorious here. The last month was so crazy. Now I can read this month's. It's gone. You know, it's like oh, it's been two months. I'll just wait. You know, I'll just wait. You get used to not reading it, so well, it becomes a thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a couple of issues behind on Morning Glories mm. uh, right now. I believe there's another coming out today. Yeah, there is. Yeah, um, there is. The, the, I think it's the season one finale. They're calling. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah. Um, the next issue is actually going to be released. Uh, I believe either for free. Or for a dollar. I think it's a dollar. And it's like a special double-sized issue trying to get everybody to jump on board. I don't know how the hell they're going to do it, Yeah, but they're going to try. Um, the cover is beautiful. I actually mm-hmm. have a signed copy of it hanging in my dining nice. room. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's rough. Mm-hmm. It's really rough. And, and, you know, because I feel like I'm I'm cheating myself of, like, the level of exhilaration that could be felt that like when I read Punisher last night, I mean, I did issues five to 16, one after the other. I think mm-hmm. I got up once to go get a drink of water or something, but like it was, I felt that need to like push the pedal down and keep going. I could not, that was three mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop right. because I was so engrossed in the, in the case and in the mood and, and in the bloodshed and everything that was going on. I was so in the zone. If I was reading that month per month, you have to, you know, you have to mentally like set up camp in mm-hmm. in different landscapes yeah. to get the full enjoyment out of these books. And I think it's also the level of quality that, as opposed to things that you're really passionate about and really, really dying to read, like for me, Superior Spider Man or Saga. Where I haven't read it, well, Saga, I haven't read in a month, but I know exactly what happened mm-hmm. on the last page of Saga number 10, and I can't wait to to see what happens in 11 later today. Right. That it just, those books stick with me, but other things, I get lost, mm-hmm. and I forget. Yeah. And I, I forget the mood, mm-hmm. I forget this what we're doing, um, and sometimes I like to just wait. Yeah, it's like with uh, I'll shut up in a second, but with X Men Legacy, how I was iffy on it, but then after I had six issues and mm. I went back to the beginning and I read it from one to six, mm. I really caught on to that and I got, I finally got what the book was about. The book is weird. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's yeah. really bizarre, 
And now that you had six issues to get into that weird vibe and be in that world for a while, I became comfortable with it and started to really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think uh, for me anyway, you're looking at the guys who were writing in the, in the silver age who were grown up in the thirties on movie serials. Mm. The idea was the, if there was a continued story, Stan was going to end an FF issue with them being blown up or the Gorgon kicking the building out from under them. And you'd spend three weeks into the next month. How are they going to get out of that? And now even stories that are continued seem to end with some heroes standing somewhere going, I'm going to beat the snot out of that guy next <laughs> month. Eh. Eventually, they, those all kind of run together. There isn't that anticipation mm-hmm. in a lot of it. And that's probably what's happening to you where it's not, oh, I, 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 the story's driving me forward to read it. It's just ended, even though it's continued. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it all just depends on the way you like to consume uh, you know, stories. And I don't think there's any right answer to it. I just think that, you know, for me personally, I I like reading month to month because I like being in the zeitgeist and I like being in the conversation, especially because we do this show. Um, it's the same thing. It's the same. It's the same argument I think between watching a TV show week to week or or watching it at the end of the season in a, in a giant lump. You know, there are benefits to both of them. And there are drawbacks to both of them. You know, I I think a lot of times when you're reading comics all in a lump, you tend to you tend to lose the uh, intended pace of the story because you get to the end of the issue and you just keep going. Whereas sometimes that last page will be there purposely to be like, let's bait you for the next ne- next month. And then you have a time to think about it, time to absorb it. And then you go on. Some things are not written like that. Some things are written as one contiguous story and you're just supposed to plow through them. It's the same thing with television shows. Uh, um, so, you know, you, you watch, we talk about Game of Thrones, but you mm. watch Game of Thrones uh, in one block uh, and you loved it. Loved it. It's a great way to do it. There's something also to be said though from for watching it week to week because you get that anticipation, you get that chance to talk to your buddy about, oh my god, did you see where this happened and what do you think is going to happen mm-hmm. next week? And you know, so there's good things and bad to both. Um, but I definitely think there are some things like Hawkeye that are meant to be read month to month instead of uh, all in one big lump. All right. Well, we didn't make that easy for anybody. No. Well, there's not an easy <laughs> answer to it. Uh, all right. So. This email comes in from Ethan, and Ethan sent this email in, I got to say, about a month ago, and I've been trying to get to it for a couple of weeks, and we just haven't got to it, but don't worry, Ethan, we're getting to it right now. Uh, and this is about uh, the art in Captain Marvel uh, versus the art in Justice League of America, ah. and he also has a question about the Hulk as well. Um, so he goes, uh, he goes, uh, hi, first I listened to the podcast about spoilers in which you discussed the art in Captain Marvel number, uh, art in Captain Marvel number nine and number 10. Uh, and JLA number one. And I have to disagree. I think the new art in Captain Marvel is completely wrong for a mainstream superhero book. It would be great for some sort of dystopian futuristic comic, but not for the kind of character and stories that Kelly Sudakonik is writing, and definitely not for someone who is supposed to be Earth's mightiest hero. I found the art in number nine and ten uh, to be disjointed and not to show and not to show Captain Marvel to be super. With the new artist, she just looks weird. I think this is the kind of art that will attra- be attractive to some people, but will really turn off others like me. For a magazine that deserves to have a mainstream audience, this is too bad, because this art will most likely relegated to cult status at best. I can only say that for myself, unless the art gets uh, better, again, not so weird, I'm going to have to reconsider whether or not I want my local comic shop to keep ordering it for me. By contrast, I love the art in JLA number one. In my opinion, this is what superhero art should be. I I think Steve mentioned that it was too muscly. 
Uh, and that's what superheroes, he thinks that superheroes are supposed to look like. Uh, I think it was actually me who said it was too muscly. Yeah, I don't remember. In JLA. Um, uh, they are physically active by definition. I want superheroes to look super. Uh, also, I think you guys are being a little too hard on the Catwoman part of the art. Uh, I, I think her, I think her outfit is fine, and I want I, and for someone whose character is willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done, including using a little sex appeal to throw off potential opponents. Um, in Batman number one from 1940, Robin gets upset after their first encounter with the original Catwoman because Batman is still distracted thinking about how good she looked. So her using her sex appeal to distract her opponents has always been something that was part of her character, and her costume in JLA number one fits into that perfectly. Yeah. What's her cat? What's her costume in Batman number one? It's a that, it's a dress <laughs> and heels. Okay. A dress that comes to about her mid calf. That's nineteen like forty though. So right. So <laughs> let, let's take that into consideration. Who did the art in Justice League one? Uh, David the... Finch. What's okay. his name? Um. I... Speaking personally here, I am not a fan of the whole image style mm-hmm. of big, muscly art with pointy chins and giant necks mm-hmm. and, you know, characters that couldn't move <laughs> without, without you know, shattering things. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair um, to David Finch's art, that's not what his characters look like. They don't look like they couldn't move. Mm-hmm. They just look a little over-muscly, over, but, but they're not like that crazy image okay. style. So just be but, fair to David But Finch. not to... They don't look life. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so far through, I, I have all the Captain Marvel sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um through the series so far, we started on the larger storylines with, with you know, story arcs with Dexter Soy. Big heroic things. She's learning to be this other person. We've changed art as the storylines have changed. We went to Emma Rios and Jordi Belair uh, for five and six, where we have the smaller story with Helen Cobb and the, sort of the retelling of the origin. You need a more emotional art than Dexter Soy's art's great. We've, we've said wonderful things about it. Emma's inner sort of fashiony, stylistic way conveyed more emotion. Sitting here now, uh, Felipe Andre, the, the, for those who haven't seen this Captain Marvel, it, it's in some ways in the action sequences reminiscent of Eon Flux. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. angular, yeah. very interesting. But I'm, I'm open to a page here where, where Carol's having some, some health issues, and she meets the little girl who lives in her building who's dressed in, a, in, a, in an identical outfit to Captain Marvel, and it's about, yeah, uh, I bet we'd get home faster if we flew. And Carol says, well, next time. And the little girl just looks up with just these blue eyes and this gorgeous face. Promise? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I don't want giant, muscly superheroes. I want little girl's lovely face. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last panel with, with the whole building looking as she's falling out of the sky, this is the art that should be in this book. I don't want it to look like Catwoman. Mm-hmm. I really don't. This is a much different character. Is a much different woman. Mm-hmm. This is what this should look like. I, if you're going to dump it on that, it's art is a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Kirby fan from the mm-hmm. day one. Nobody drew weirder anatomy than Jack Kirby. Right. But it was never to the point of being uh, bizarre or strange mm-hmm. or just pinuppy. Way too much DC art for me is pinups. Mm-hmm. Page after page of one person standing hands on hips, they still do way too many uh, women bending over at the waist, butt out, chest out. No, mm-hmm. not for me. Um, now, I, I do not think that the art in JLA, and I talked about my problems with that art, should be the art in Captain Marvel. Um, I will say this, you know, I, I think that, Leon, uh, he does, that Ethan does have a point in that I, I think the book's diminishing sales do have to do with the kind of uh, 
uh, avant-garde look of the book. Um, and I do not think it should look like those books and no way, no how. Um, I, I will agree that I, I think that for the action parts of the, of this book of the, of the flip on stuff, I, I don't, it does not, it doesn't do it for me. You know, um, I think that scene you're talking about is highly emotional and, and great. I think a lot of that is to do with Kelly Sudeikonik's writing and less to do with the art. Um, the art is, it's the Eon Fluxness of the art for me is not what I'm looking for. It's not going to stop me from buying the book. Don't get me wrong. I love the book and I, I love Kelly Sudeikonik's writing and it, it's not off-putting enough to me to stop buying the book, but that emotional scene, that Eon Fluxness to the, to the art doesn't deliver the emotional punch to me that I, w- I would get with, I don't want to say more re- realistic because it doesn't have to be realistic, but you know, uh, something with with more. I I don't I don't know how to put into words. You know, it's one of those mm-hmm. things. It's like, you know, I love the way Humberto Ramos draws his stuff. He his stuff isn't real, really realistic, but you're able to double up emotion out of that, even though it's a little bit more cartoony. And I I brought my kind of not liking the way the Amarillo stuff looked either when we talked about this. You know, there's something about it, and I know Kelly Sue has said in, in letters and in, on panels that they pick the artist that fits the story, but for me, there is a disconnect. Not the same disconnect there is for him, because I don't think that... The, I think we're at a point now with that JLA stuff where I, I don't mind Superman looking real muscly, but, you know, you, there there has to be a, uh, a give and take to that. Um, so I'm kind of in a different place not loving the art, but for a very different reason than I think that mm-hmm. w- w- he is. Uh, Steve, what do you think about it? Um, I, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree on Absolutely. almost every front um, <laughs> of the email. I'm sorry. I, uh, I just, I don't, as an artist myself, to whatever degree that I am, um, I to say that certain art belongs within the certain certain confines of uh, trying to find, I've been trying to find the words for the past like seven minutes since you guys have been talking about this and I still can't um, to say that certain art belongs with a certain character or a certain franchise or a certain book. And that, you know, a more standard approach or a more classic comic book approach or a more realistic approach, however you want to approach it belongs in the captain Marvel book. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, I don't think that there should be a limit to uh, or or a, or a particular narrow vision of what kind of art can or cannot belong in a comic book. Um, I'm only speaking personally, but I mean, I read comics, and I've you know I've complained about art in comics before. I complained about the art in Thunderbolts. I complained about. Uh, I remember. When I was reading Ultimate Comics Spider-Man and um, Sarah Pacelli did the first couple issues and then all of a sudden I didn't expect it. It was actually my first exposure to a comic book that I really loved changing an artist that it hit me upside the head and I bitched inside the comic book store and I bitched on the podcast and I was like, you know, wow, what is this? I want Sarah back, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But by having that attitude and you know uh since then i've just i realized i mean first of all i am i am no one to tell anybody what kind of art they you know can or cannot have in their book um i personally i've said it again i love the art in captain marvel i think it's spectacular um it's just 
my background, my background in cartoons, my background in anime. And, um, I mean, it, it, I, I enjoy it because I enjoy those things and I enjoy, I guess the roots upon where it's, where it's stemming from. I used to stay up late at night watching liquid television and stuff like Aeon Flux and, you know, old Mike, Mike Judge cartoons and things like that. And to me, this art in Captain Marvel is kind of like a, a send off to that that style and that thing. Um, whether it belongs in the book or not, I'm not sure that anybody can make that call. I mean, belongs is I think you're getting into like terminology. You know, whether or not it, I think it's more of it whether or not you think it works in the book for what it's trying to achieve. I think that's kind of what he means. I don't think he's mean to say that there has to be strict rules about what goes in what. You know. For you know, for me personally, it's like you know uh, th- the stuff that you know All Red does in FF is not traditional superhero comic right. book art at all, and I think it's fantastic. You know, not, t- t- not you know pun yeah. not intended. Uh, and again, it's all about personal taste. I just think he I think he's saying for the type of story that they're telling, he doesn't feel like the art fits. Right. I just I just don't. I mean, um, without getting into specifics, I just don't think that. A particular, I mean, you can, it's so, it's so hard for me to put it into words. I don't think that you need a certain art style to convey action or to convey emotion. I think that if you enjoy the art or if you enjoy the book, that you can, you know, transmute what's on the page into it meaning something for you regardless yeah, I guess, but I mean, like we 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 complained, we bitched not maybe a month ago about the swamp thing art, uh, yeah. and we we I think we very casually said this type of art does not belong in this type of book. No, we totally did. You You're know, right. so I ju- I just want to make sure because I'm sure people out there are like screaming at us right now. You know, wasn't me. Since no, I it wasn't you. You didn't read it. But I'm not <laughs> and saying. No, and, you know. and in all and in all fairness, I mean, I have we have no aside from Bobby reading these to us, we have no prep. For, no, for no, some and, of these and, questions no, and there I, shouldn't be, you know. No, but I apologize to our audience because I wish I could have formulated my what I'm trying to say, and I apologize um, to who sent the email in, especially since I can't remember your name, Ethan. <laughs> it's completely, Ethan, it's completely subjective, you know. We're all, we, we have given three completely varying different opinions on what was going on, and yeah, no- I just I you know the it's the art. The, like I said, I love the art. I think it's fun, um, and I also know I also keep in mind that. It's not going to be around forever, mm-hmm. and that it, it, it they are no. going to go, they are going to change. Maybe yeah. she said on the on when we interviewed her that yeah. Dexter Stoy would be coming back mm-hmm. at some point, yeah. and when he does, how much of a treat will that be mm-hmm. when we open up a Captain Marvel comic and he's back? Mm-hmm. And people are pumped, and people yeah. like fuck yeah, like yeah. giant robots and you know <laughs> huge action sequences yeah, yeah. and a very painterly manner to mm-hmm. the way that he does. Like I almost enjoy the fact that it was taken away from mm-hmm. me because it made me appreciate it that much more. Yeah, that when he does come back, it's going to be like a punch in the face, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, I'm just very happy though that when we had these smaller emotional stories, that to me the this art paid off. Mm-hmm. But what I am going to agree with you totally on, Bobby, is I do believe that the art change did affect the sales of this book. Yeah, yeah, I agree but, with that But too. I think what... It, oh, boy, this is going to come off weird. <laughs> oh, what the hell? Everyone hates me anyway. Um, I, I really think changing to... In, in, in one case, we had, this book, the Emma Rios issues, it's completely female creative. Mm-hmm. It's writer, penciler, colorist, Mm. editor. I think at a certain level, some of this more feminine art style has flushed 
some of these people out of this book. Could be right. Absolutely. I, and Absolutely. I'm just saying. Yeah. So the numbers have fallen to a certain point, and I would guarantee you that the readership of this book is more heavily female than almost anything Marvel has. Right, and which is fantastic. Part fantastic, of that is fantastic, but- you know. And again, the, these things don't have to be for everybody, you know. And I, I, I think that's, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think what's interesting about Ethan's email is Ethan's really saying. I really want to keep reading this book, but the art is making me not want to read it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not a book that he doesn't want to read, so that's a good step in, in, in mm-hmm. the right direction. Um, but that said, though, if you hunch up your shoulders and say, ich, 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 yeah. uh, when I was a kid, there was a guy named Sal Busema drawing Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, brother of John, who's one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. Mm-hmm. Sal is a workmanlike really good artist. Mm. He's the 280 hitter who hits 30 right. home runs. Right. Not a superstar, mm. but cranked out great work, always on model, character's great. He drew camp through all of Steve Englehart's great period, and he left, and they replaced him with a very cartoony Frank Robbins. Mm-hmm. Really exaggerated anatomy. Well, what is this? This doesn't even look like Captain America. And an issue or two into it, it was, now I know why they picked this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd made the right choice, but you had to get used to what was going on. And at 17, it was, I, I don't like that. Right. Yeah. A couple issues of it, it was, no, oh, I love this. And when he left, it was, bring him back. <laughs> and I think a lot of it, too, is what they've done with the book is they've not, they haven't just changed artists once. They've changed artists several times. And I think it's hard mm-hmm. to adjust um, to your, well, your artist. This, this is a third artist, at least, right? Third artist in 11 issues. Yeah, which is a good amount uh, of change in the first, your first 11 issues. Sometimes within arcs, they've, been ch- they've changed artists. Well, it's, it's always, it's, it been ar- each time it was an arc. Right. Um, so I just, I think that um, objectively, it's hurt the sales of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, pa- uh, past a subjective opinion of how, how much you like the art, you know, and I, I think that's a shame. Hopefully, the sales spike a little bit back up when the Avengers Assemble crossover starts because it's a book that still deserves to be read there's still great character work happening there and you know like i said you know some people you got to ride out some rough patches if, if you believe in, in a in a book right. and for steve and i it's not even a rough patch. it's not but i'm yeah. just saying yeah, you know right. for yeah. his opinion and support the book yeah you know like if you believe in the character and you believe in the book and you believe in the writing you know stick it out mm-hmm. it's it's not going to kill you to have two or three issues where I mean, if you're still digging the story and you're still digging where where the character is going, you know, support it because otherwise, you know, books like this won't be around. It'll yeah. be one. It'll be one of the ones that gets cut. Yeah. You know, uh, we never like I mentioned it all the time. Journey into Mystery is a book that most likely within the next couple of months or whatever will probably get cut. Mm-hmm. And it's a real shame because that book is firing on all cylinders, but no one knows about it. It'll either get cut or it will get like, adjusted. They'll, they'll change what's going on in it probably. Yeah. Um, all right. So good th- question. Yeah. Great question. Thank you very much. Oh, and he wanted, he had one other part of his question was just, uh, do you know uh, how the indestructible Hulk storyline fits in with Avengers assemble? I love them both, but there seems to be a disconnect between those two Hulks. I think it's just a, kind of the con- like Marvel has so many different artists, so many different books. There's mm-hmm. going to be a difference. Yeah, I have no What's, idea. Uh, I've only read one. I mean, I don't. Incredible. I think it's, so. It, is the Hulk in Avengers? It strikes me as the same Hulk that's in Avengers yeah, Assemble, th- yeah. so it doesn't work there either. I guess. Yeah, I don't think so. I think all if you look at all different Hulks, they, they feel very different. Except for the actually the, the Hulk in Uncanny X Men is it seems like the indestructible Hulk from the Mark Wade. Yeah. Uh, book um, you know that's just one of those things you gotta 
catch up the fact that there's they're in so many books. It's like Wolverine. You know, he's yeah. in so many books. Uh, I think Alan Kistler said there's like a must be like a Wolverine core. There's like, you know, Wolverine <laughs> teacher, Savage Wolverine, you know. That's so, all this time travel, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much, Ethan, for that, because that, that was a great email. Um, this one's from Kevin, and it's about piracy. He says, hey, I'm a relatively new listener to your podcast, about six weeks or so, and I was wondering what your opinions on piracy are. The old DC comic? No, I believe he means piracy uh, stealing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Obviously, I think everyone should get paid for the work they do. And to this end, I buy roughly 25 books a month. This works out to roughly 80% or more of my luxury cash each month. However, I recently got an iPad and have since been downloading pirated copies of the comics I cannot afford to buy each month. Because I'm spending as much as po- I possibly can on comics a month, I don't feel too bad about doing this. And in some cases, uh, it has opened me up to new creators I would normally know nothing about and will be purchasing their work in the future. For example, Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, Jonathan Hickman, Jeff Lemire, and Brian K. Vaughn. What are your and the rest of the Talking Comics team's opinion on my approach to piracy and piracy in general? Thanks for reading and keep up the good work. Uh, Steve, do you want to go? Yeah. Um, Okay. Not so much in the comic industry. I believe that to an extent that piracy in comics does hurt comics. Uh, I think it does hurt the industry and I think it does hurt the creators. Um, in instances such as music, I don't believe that that is so. Um, if anything, bands make money off of tours and merch. They don't necessarily, uh, miss, I don't know. Anyway, um, I've pirated comics. I've pirated a lot of comics. I haven't read them all, but, uh, I have pirated stuff, but I will say this. Um, I spend a lot of money on comics every week. Um, my comic bill, I won't disclose it to you because I'm part ashamed, but part <laughs> proud. Um, I have been introduced to a lot of great uh, artists and creators uh, because of a comic that I've picked up or two from from the internet and whatnot. Um, I haven't read a pirated comic in a long time, probably over a year. Um, but... I will say this, the way that, that it works with me is that if I pirate something, um, if it's a movie, if I like that movie, I buy it. I go out, I buy the Blu-ray, I buy the special edition, because not only do I want the movie in the best quality possible, but I want the special features, and I want to give my money to support that film or that project. Same thing goes with comics. Um, I was introduced to, you mentioned Brian K. Vaughn. I was introduced to Brian K. Vaughn through a folder that was sent to me by a friend that said, you need to read The Pride of Baghdad. I read The Pride of Baghdad. I fell in love with it and then started reading The Runaways. After about two issues of pirated Runaways, I went out and I bought every single volume of the hardcover editions of The Runaways. Um, If anything, piracy, you can either abuse piracy or you could use piracy as a gateway into finding new artists and creators that you you do end up buying things and you because you want to support those properties and those projects and those characters and those people that do work very hard uh, creatively. And I mean, we all know, we see the sales numbers and everything. There's really not a lot of money in comics. There might be in the for the higher ups than people making the Marvel movies and such. But some of these creators, you know, they're they're living paycheck to paycheck off of these books. Um, but I will say this piracy, if anything, 
I've been introduced to books, but then have gone out and have shown my support in other ways for these creators by buying series that I've enjoyed because I'm not satisfied with owning them digitally. And I do feel a certain level of guilt that comes with not having uh, supported with my money to certain uh, comic book properties. And I have gone out and I have bought entire series that I've pirated just to show my support. I will say this right off the bat. Piracy, whatever moral grounds you stand, is an illegal act. And in Tug Comics, in no way supports you stealing anything from anyone. Just first off the bat with that. I'm not going to tell this person that what you do is okay, whether or not any of us have done it before. Uh, which we all, which I know Steve and I both have, but I'm just saying, like, you know, do not look for someone to excuse your theft of things. Um, here's the deal: I, I think that if you're if you're stealing, if you're if stealing, if you're stealing a new comic book, a book that you could go out to your store and buy and support, Marvel, DC, Image, random other creator, I, to me that's inexcusable. Can I just say one thing really quick? I'm yeah. Sorry. I also want to make it a point to just say that the stuff that I have pirated is stuff that isn't available anymore. Um, I'm glad that you said that Mm. because that was something I forgot to mention. Anything that I've pirated are either collections or things that are either not available or things that are just astronomically priced either on eBay or other some such that I cannot afford but still want to enjoy Mm. and then have gone out and supported those creators in other ways. So that's uh, that's I mean remember how you do it it's stealing if you're doing it from new creators new books that you could go out you could buy for three dollars four dollars that's not excusable uh, to me because you're taking money directly out of people's pockets who are making a living uh, doing this um, there's a certain amount of uh, of not legal leeway but in my mind moral leeway when you get to a lot of back issues and stuff where if you buy if you buy them from a shop. The you know, people who made them aren't seeing any money for them anyway. Um, and if you're looking to catch up on stuff, uh, I'm not going to say I haven't done it before. Um, whenever I, I I don't like doing it, it makes me feel uncomfortable to do it. And I'd rather pay the money uh, to do it. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think that it has turned me on to things. But these are the best case scenarios, the amount of people who take stuff and never pay for anything is, is a giant amount uh, of things. Mm-hmm. And th- that, is, that's a real problem. You know, um, there's always the debate about whether or not the person who steals would be a person who would buy it anyway. You know, so is it really taking, you know, the money out of somebody's hand, uh, to do it because are they going to go to the comic shop and buy it anyway? Probably not. But if you're somebody who's spending your money on comic books and dude, I totally get it. We, we all spend a lot of money. A lot of our, a lot of our luxury cash, as you put it, is spent on comic books. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to read. And well, we have the benefit of the fact that we get free books uh, from publishers, you know, for, for, for review purposes. But not uh, a lot, and not everything. Not a lot, yeah. not everything. None of the mainstream stuff. None, none of the DC no. Marvel stuff. We get none of that stuff. So all that stuff, all the stuff you see us talking about, that's bought with our own money. Um, and we often buy the stuff we even get for free with our own money too. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, I understand that that you want that need to read everything. I totally get that, uh, and I, I and I, I understand that. I, I'd say your best, you know, what you need to do is find a way to find a friend or a shop owner who lets you borrow stuff or something, you know, because the fact is, if if 
somebody comes knocking down your door, if they catch, you know, if somebody tracks your IP address and they track you stealing something, you're going to be in trouble no matter what. Huh. It doesn't matter what your excuses are. But wasn't well, that lady? Was it in Minnesota? It's the piracy, the music piracy case where you know she owes three million dollars, yeah. and now she's trying to. I can't afford that. Mm. Well, you shouldn't have done that. Mm. Um, look, piracy is wrong. Uh, it hurts creators. It hurts the industry. There are so many ways around it now. You can go into any Barnes and Noble. There are books all over the place mm. and chairs set up for you to sit down <laughs> and read the thing. Yeah. If you're going into your shop and spending money, the guy will let you stand there and read books. This right. isn't the old guy with the cigar. <laughs> hey, kid, put that back. What do you think? This is a library. Uh, uh, to tell a story, I uh, encountered Harlan Ellison more than a few times in my life at conventions and stuff, and he's more of a curmudgeon than I am, if you can believe that. <laughs> and he actually went after... Uh, you know, Yahoo and Microsoft and everybody else for facilitating the theft of his copyrighted works across the internet, mm. and they settled with him. He sued individual people. He told a story of this, this, this kid, he's a 14-year-old kid who downloaded every one of his books, and he actually called the woman at home and said, your son owes me $1,500. Well, he doesn't have that. How's he going to kick our? Screw him. How, that's my money. Those are my books. Mm-hmm. Um. He was at Icon the one year, and their radio show did one of his short stories as a radio play. And the fellow who runs the radio show walked up to him and said, hey, we, we did I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream on the show last week. Yeah, did you pay me? No. Let me see your wallet. He opened his wallet, he reached and pulled out 20 bucks and walked away. <laughs> it, it's about creators. You know, we want to support these. I understand your finances. As you said, we're all in the same mm-hmm. sort of boat. Uh, there are other ways around. There's the new the uh, the new Marvel app. Marvel Unlimited, yeah. I mean, there's what's ten dollars a month. Five dollars I mean, if you six, buy for a year. Yeah, it's five dollars a month. Thirteen thousand um, bucks. Yeah, and, and look, like I, I'm not saying. I believe me, I am not saying that I am innocent of what we're talking about here. I have pirated plenty of things, especially especially when I was younger. It w- I would do it all the time, and I would have no remorse about it, you know, because I was like, I got no money, but I want to listen to these songs, you know. That w- and I had that that mentality, and that's very much mentality that exists now. A- and look, there, there's like you, Steve, you, you mentioned there are bands who will say steal our music, you know, because yeah. we we got more fans that way than than putting out a record. Um, and you know, there are cases where you know I. I personally feel, and this is one of those things that I rationalize myself. Look, I pay $100 a month for my cable bill. If I miss a show, I'm going to download it because I already paid for it. You know, I paid to watch that show already. So that, that I have that thing in my brain, and that's still wrong. I would still get in trouble for that if I got caught doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's the, the bottom line, though, is that it is illegal. So there are moral rationalizations you can make for yourself, but always know that it's illegal. And you spending money doesn't give you the right to steal more stuff. You know, that's that's not how the world works. And just because it's a digital file doesn't mean there's not a physical facsimile to it somewhere else, you know? Um, look, I mean, this happens in games too, right? They're, they're like, old games are pirated all the time. You know, there are new games that pirate pirated. That's ridiculous. And, you know, you're, you're taking so much money out of people's pockets in that, in that instance you're going from three dollars to seventy dollars, you know, from uh, comics to a game. You know, not to mention that a lot of them run like crap, regardless of the the badass right. computer that you have. But there are games that you cannot, like older games, like Nintendo games, Super Nintendo games, arcade games that you can't get, you can't find anywhere that nobody makes any money off anymore. If you want to get a meme of those, not a meme, uh, meme, meme, that's what it's called, right? The the program that runs an emulator yeah. program. Yeah, I understand that, you know. 
if you're taking money out of people who can get the money, like like Steve said, people who are not making that much money, yeah, like you need yeah. to look at what you're doing and, and figure out a, a, a way to to correct your practice. You well, know? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I'm 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 speaking for the creators on on their behalf mm. to a point because I mean we've interviewed. You know, a number of people now from, you know, people like Jonathan Hickman to Curtis Weeb, And, mm. you know, we've talked to them and not even asking them what their money situation is. They've come right out and told us and yeah. be like, you know, you know, I some of them are teachers. Some of them are they, they have other jobs, yeah. you know, and they're like this comic thing is, you know, it's for fun. I mean, people think that, you know, us comic creators are like, you know wiping our butts with cash and doing all they're like that is not it at all they're like if it if it pays my mortgage and my and feeds my kids you know like we've had a couple mm. like uh matt yeah. fraction was like i write comics because mm. i love it but i write comics to make sure that my kids have a roof over their head mm-hmm. and that they have food in their mouths yeah. and when you're stealing comics you're stealing money away from that person especially if you're mm. enjoying their work mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. you know it becomes very much a moral issue mm-hmm. and it's like i said anything that i've enjoyed whether it be music money uh, music <laughs> uh movies or otherwise i always always you can hold me to this i always make it a point to purchase that mm-hmm. after the fact because i like to support the things that i love mm-hmm. um yeah there's another part to it but i'm not gonna get into it <laughs> <laughs> you know it's an issue that's become been uh front and line and center since you know probably you know the, the whole napster thing began and is going to continue to be but you know the way you have to think about it is you know if you walk by somebody's house and their door is open it doesn't mean you can just walk in and take any of their stuff it's still stealing if you take their stuff you know just because the door is open for you to find stuff i understand it's tempting i understand that you're just trying to fill out your knowledge but you know you you got to figure out a, a, a more uh stand-up way to do it or you're gonna get in this practice where things seem like they can be stolen and they'll go just get bigger and bigger, you know? So, uh, it's, um, a, it's a dicey issue. And also a little, um, thing to help you save money for, uh, comic book collectors, amazon.com. Don't be afraid to check out their used section. Mm. There's a lot of times where I've gotten uh, very good or like new copies of things for mere dollars. Um, I've found stuff for 14 cents and I've gotten <laughs> whole hardcover trades, mm. Of things, maybe I have to pay three dollars and ninety nine cents yeah. shipping, but I got that book for fourteen mm. cents, mm. and I got it shipped to my house. And I'm just saying, if you're looking to to kind of you know pare down your spending and you want to get some collected stuff or libraries, check yeah. out your library. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Amazon.com or or other sites like that. Don't be afraid to look in used sections mm. because. In all honesty, generally people don't accept things unless, and they're graded. Mm-hmm. So if it's if you're going to get a book that's torn to shreds, it's going to say so. Mm-hmm. Amazon backs you up too. You make yeah. a purchase of them, they're right there for yeah. you. Yeah, I've never had a single problem with Amazon mm-hmm. as far as returns or anything. They're yeah. very quick to help out. Yeah, and again, like look for sales. Like Comicsology has a ton of sales all the time on books. They have back issues for less than than they're supposed to cost. You know, right now they're doing a Jonathan Hickman creator owned sale. I mean, it's probably over by the time you hear this podcast, but you know, they were selling his like I think four of his collected series, his first indie series, it was like eighteen dollars wow. for everything. What? You know? Wow. Yeah. It was like it was uh it was one I think it was uh I can't remember the names of them, but it wasn't it wasn't like it was before the Fantastic Four stuff or the during- Secret Warriors? 
think Secret. No, no, no. It wasn't like Marvel stuff. It was uh, it was the creator owned stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, like Nightly News and Red Wing. I believe is one of them that's called like a bunch of those books that he put mm-hmm. out. And it's and you know you you I under I under believe me we understand the desire to do this because you want to read stuff you want to be up on stuff you want to enjoy this stuff but you got to think about the people who are behind it you know there are people uh behind it uh all right another question here um this is from adam he says hey guys wanted to say i love the show i listen every week i took your advice and jumped onto marvel unlimited and oh my glob here (laughs) nice (laughs) there are so many books i feel like doctor who's companion stepping into tardis and marvel unlimited is asking me where do you want to start i think i'm going to read hickman's fantastic four and ff run but what else could I check out? I've read most of the X-Men stuff since House of M and the Avengers and Civil War. Any runs prior to that that you guys love? I imagine Bob knows a bunch. Schmauzo. Well, actually, I, I, I sent Adam a nice letter oh, with you did? a whole bunch of these oh, okay. things in it. But I would now add the Children's Crusade mm-hmm. trade to that list. Yeah. Um, once you say, but people out there might be listening oh, to the same thing. No, so. no, some there are people listening. Yeah, there are people listening. <laughs> sure. Look, uh, in terms One of the X, <laughs> in terms of the X Men, you certainly want the Claremont Burn mm-hmm. run. You, you, there, you're dealing with Days of Future Past, uh, Phoenix Saga, uh, the introduction of Kitty Pride, the real fleshing out of Wolverine as a character. It's it's all just in there. Um, you, the Perez Avengers, mm-hmm. all through that whole period, you want some of that. Uh, you uh, want Burns FF as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I've read some of the uh, Kurt Busiek Avengers stuff is, is very good. Yes. Um, obviously, you know, it, if you're looking at the bigger heroes, I mean, there's great Spider-Man runs all, all throughout that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are good places to start. I mean, there's so much stuff there. Uh, you know, I, like I said, we always pick, and stuff, pick characters you're interested in and then just, you know, yeah. look, look and see, if, you know, and Google is your friend. Look up stuff. Be like, what is, you know, how is the J. Michael Straczynski run on Amazing Spider-Man? Oh, look! This, this, this. I'll, I'll, I'll check yeah. that out. You know. Yeah, you know, Amazon will help you there too. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you're getting all the collected trades, and everyone starts reviewing it. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. review is helpful to you? Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> and he says, if the if DC did the same type of service, what suggestions suggestions would you give me to go back and check out? I've read most of the Batman stories from the past, but I haven't read any Justice League or JSA or anything bes- besides Superman, Batman. Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 the one. All right, cool. Uh, JSA, to me, forgetting wanting to go back to the '40s because right. I'm not going to advocate that for anybody. Even though you can get them all now, mm. they're actually all available. Yeah. Uh, Mike Parabek did a series in the '90s, which mm. is sort of cartoony but really, really interesting. The All Stars from the '70s, but the Justice League's up. The Justice Society is up through the last few years. Uh, yeah, they, they, we're, we're, we're doing very nice work until mm-hmm. they got they got canned. Yeah. in the midst of the new Fifty Two. As a matter of fact, in going through the boxes, I hadn't remembered this, but one of the, my favorite runs in the last few years on that book, just before it was canceled, is Bill Willingham. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> he did sort of a Days of Future Past Justice mm-hmm. Society thing with Nazis in World War Three or Four, whatever it was. Uh, it was really kind of great. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend's reading it now. Uh, Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X. Oh, for the Marvel stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Um, I'm gonna say uh, the uh, the Jeff Johns JSA stuff. It yes. is very good yeah, that, as well. He follows right after. Actually, you know, James Robinson then John. Yeah, yeah, very very good stuff as well. Yeah, the 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 DCS interesting work there. It's funny. Uh, Jeff Johns was on that uh, Kevin's with Batman podcast, and they talked about the new Fifty Two, and they kind of you know. They were talking about, you know, oh, you know, you, you part of the architect of that. And he was like, well, let, let's be clear. He's like, Dan Didio and Jim Lee are the architects of the comic side of things. He's like, and I was very vocal about this. 
I was completely opposed to it when when they were starting uh-huh. it. Um, he's like, I was very upset about it and had a lot of trouble with it. And he's like, now I see the, I see the, the worth in it and I'm, I'm happy about it because it allowed me to do some stuff. But it's interesting to hear guys talk about that, especially somebody so high up in the company sure. and talking about stuff like that. But uh, I would also recommend just really quickly, Marvels and Kingdom Come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of Mark Wade, Mark Wade's flash run is very, very yes. long, but very excellent. Um, Jeff John's flash stuff is good too. The flash rebirth, uh, series as well. Um, is great. So is his, and his Green Lantern stuff obviously is mm-hmm. is still going on now, but it is very much from the past. Blackest Night. Blackest Night. Yes, Blackest absolutely. Blackest Night was awesome. Um, hope we helped. Yes, <laughs> I hope. Uh, I certainly hope we helped take more money out of your pocket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's pi- maybe he's pirating them. Hey, don't pirate it. Yeah, don't <laughs> pirate it. Um, and this is sort of a, 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 around the same lines, but this is from uh, Alex. So no. Uh, uh, let me say all that. Although I've only recently started listening to Talking Comics, I'm already a huge fan. The reason why I'm emailing you is Good to taste. ask you uh, all a question. My question is for all of you: Could each of you give me two or three recommendations for trades or graphic novels? That would be awesome. Thank you very much, and keep on doing the podcast. It's fast becoming the only thing I look forward to on Wednesday and any other day that you do special podcasts. Again, thank you so much. From a new, albeit huge fan, Alex. Ah, so thank you very much, Alex. So. Uh, this is this is great because we talk about this right. We we mention a lot of the same books a lot, and some people get on us about those kind of things. But this is why we do it because this person only been listening for a very short amount of time and hasn't heard a lot of these recommendations. So Bob, um, let's go back to the beginning. Death of Captain Marvel, which has just come out now in a smaller edition. It was mm-hmm. a, an oversized uh, trade. It, it's Marvel. Right? Is it Starlin? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you you got some Thanos going on there, so that's always that's always good fun. Um, I the Alex Ross oversized tabloids that were done. There was one for Batman, Superman, uh, Captain Marvel, and Wonder Woman that are the absolute most. It's Paul Dini, I think, across the board there. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yes, they are beautiful crystallizations of what those heroes are about, mm-hmm. and it's it's Alex Ross. So mm-hmm. You just can't go wrong. Then they they did a Justice League, right? Uh, also, this uh, you know, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Jackie, is just started getting into comics, and the the things that I used, you know, we got lock and key. Uh, those trades are great. Um, uh, we talked about Saga. Get the first trade of Saga. Get the first trade of Revival. I mean, so we're talking about outside of superhero stuff right here, right now. But you know, those are things that I think um, are especially if you're you know just getting into comics or just getting back into comics. Uh, they kind of show you the breadth of what comics are capable of doing in, in a lot, a lot of ways. Um, you know, and it depends on what you're looking for. You know, like uh, I just read that uh, Robin Two Joker's Wild, uh, the Chuck Dixon mini from I think way back in like '91, uh, which is just fantastic. And if you're looking for a good Robin story, especially in light of what's been happening now, if you're interested in that character, uh, you know, it's obviously a different Robin, but still, it, it's it's a great read. Uh, both DC and Marvel have done nice sort of anthologies yeah. where it's best of the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, the best Batman stories, the best Wonder Woman stories. You can always then find for $15, $20, one from each of a run. Mm-hmm. And oh, I like this art style, I like where this story went, and then drift backwards into deciding, okay, I want to read some more of that. I want to read Sergeant Fury instead of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. or so on and so forth. You know, and Steve brought up the Rucka Punisher run a couple times here. That's yeah. a great place. Uh, to read, especially if you're looking to get into that character, you don't need to have read anything about that character uh, before to enjoy it. Um, Batwoman Elegy. If you're in, if you're getting into books now, you're reading Batwoman now, and you haven't read that, 
mm-hmm. uh, that's great stuff as well. Um, you know, it, it just depends really on what you are, you know, into and what you're going crazy for. You mentioned Blackest Night, like there, yeah. you know, I think reading the death of, uh, uh, Peter Parker, the ultimate Spider-Man arc, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, is a great thing to jump uh, on Spider-Man Blue. Spider-Man Blue. Yeah. We always talk about Spider-Man yeah. Blue, yeah. but it's just, yeah, there's a reason. I know it's funny. Like I'm, I'm going, trying to write down things on a list and it's stuff that I just, I always, I always go back to. And mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, some of my favorite stuff from the Lunar Brothers uh, are all available in collected editions. Uh, Girls, for one. And uh, if you haven't read it, The Sword. Uh, Sword is going to, uh, hopefully, going to be a film uh, relatively soon. And it is going to start flying off the shelves because people are going to want to read it. You want to read uh, a team that does characters and does people really well and will still amaze you. Uh, the sword is absolutely one of my one of my favorites. Um, it is available in trades. There's a couple of them. Like I said, if you could find the collection, it is one of the greatest rides you will ever take mm-hmm. uh, on an independent comic mm-hmm. ever. It's amazing. Uh, more Joe up the cape. Is, yeah. is also something, you know, that it's superheroes in their most uh, fucked up yeah, uh, manner. Yeah, shit, that was awesome. Funny, again, like, Jackie, we, we told her about it. We, yep. we told her, you should read The Cape. It's really fucked up. And just when you think it can't get more fucked up, it does. She texts me and she goes, wow, that thing in that first issue was really fucked up. <laughs> I, was like, I told you. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's just, it's great stuff. So uh, the Hawkeye trade just came out. It's true. The Hawkeye trade did just come out. And that's something that you, the Daredevil, I think has two, three. three volumes out now, Yeah, uh, which will almost get you caught up with what's out. So, I mean, there's just, there's a billion things that you could, you could get. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a lot of the, a lot of the Marvel now stuff is starting to round off. Like some of the ones that were coming out really quickly. Yeah. Um, probably starting next month, I believe there's going to be a couple of trades coming out of the first, you know, five to six issues mm-hmm. of the relaunch. Uh, and so many of these of these books have been spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd have to pick and choose, but the, it's almost like you can't go wrong. Yeah, you absolutely, know? absolutely. Uh, all right, so that's it uh, for uh, our listener questions. Um, we're going to go on to what's on the shelves right now. All right, from Boom Studios, we have Adventure Time number fourteen. Yeah. Uh, we have Clive Barker's Hellraiser Dark Watch number two. Fenboys vs. Zombies, number 12. Grace Randolph, Superbia, number one. Sorry, that's the third printing. Uh, Steed and Mrs. Peel, number six. <laughs> um, it's me and Patrick McNee buying it, but that's okay. Uh, and Lauren. And uh, Lauren? Okay, good. That's three of us. From Dark Horse, we have BPRD Hell on Earth, number 105, which is A Cold Day in Hell, part one of two. Um, Conan the Barbarian, number 14. Dark Horse Presents, number 22. Uh... We have, oh, the, the trade paperback of Massive, Volume 1. Uh, Mind Management, Number 9. Sweet. Uh, RIPD, Volume 1, trade paperback. We've got Star Wars Legacy 2, Prisoner of the Floating World, Number 1. Uh, a unauthorized Tarzan hardcover as well. And Wild Rover <laughs> featuring The Sacrifice, One Shot. Uh, from DC Comics, we have Action Comics, Number 18, which is the end of uh, Grant Morrison's run. We have Batman Beyond Unlimited, Number 14. Uh, we have Batwoman number eighteen. Yes. Birds of Prey number eighteen. Catwoman number eighteen. Constantine number one. Wee. DC Universe presents number eighteen. That is uh, Starfighter. Uh, oh. Once again, written by Joe Keating. Uh, he did the uh, Arsenal Roy Harper one uh, last month. Hmm. 
Uh, we've got Fables, number 127, uh, Green Lantern's New Guardians, number 18, JSA, The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull, number four, yeah. Justice League, number 18, Justice League of America, number two, Justice League of America's Vibe, number two, Legion of Superheroes, number 18, Nightwing, number 18, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 18, Supergirl, number 18, Sword of Sorcery, number six, Wonder Woman, number 18, as well as Wonder Woman, The Amazon Princess Archives, yes. volume one, hardcover. Yep. Very expensive, sadly, but um, <laughs> Robert Kaniger, who who wrote that, he took over after uh, Dr. Morriston got sick. He eventually ruined the character, made her into a sort of Lois Lane, and it was all about loving Steve Trevor. But those first few are still the goofy fun they were in the 40s, and Andrew and Esposito were just... I was in love with their art when I was you know, <laughs> six, and, and hated them for a while when I grew up a little bit, and then it was like, no, I just love it again. Mm-hmm. So it's that art question again. Yeah. Um, from Dynamite... Anyway, sorry. No, it's, that's, that's great. We have, Dam- uh, we have Damsels, number six. Uh, Flash Gordon's Zeitgeist, number 10. Garthinus's Jennifer Blood, number 24. Kevin Smith's The Bionic Man, number 18. Uh, Queen Sonia, number 34. Spider, number 10. And Voltron, number 11. Um, from IDW, we have Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time, number 3. We've got uh, G.I. Joe, number 2. We have G.I. Joe Special Missions, number 1. We've got uh, Hollows, number four of four. Ooh. Judge Dredd, year one, number one. Um, My Little Pony Micro Series, number two. Yes. Uh, we uh. have Memorial Imaginary Fiends, number one of Ooh, three. Oh, another one of those? Yeah. Cool. Uh, Popeye, number 11. We've got Star Trek Countdown Into Darkness, number three. Teenage Ninja Turtles, number 20. Uh, we have Teenage Ninja Turtles, uh. The Secret History of the Foot Clan, number four. Uh, Transformers Fall of Cybertron number oh. one and Transformers Robots in Disguise more than meets oh. the eye number so thanks 15 thanks for playing yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> from Image Comics we have Artifacts number 26 Chew number 32 Comeback number 5 of 5 Elephant Men number 47 Five Ghosts The Haunting of Fabian Gray number Ooh. 1 of 5 Invincible number 101 it Girl in the Atomics, number eight. Yes. Uh, maximum Minimum Wage, hardcover. <laughs> uh, Revival, number eight. Saga, number 11. Yes. Storm Dogs, number four of six. And Thief of Thieves, number 10. Oh, sorry, that's second printing. Um, Martin Glories isn't on there? It is not. Mother. <laughs> Maybe next week. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, from Marvel Comics, we have All New X-Men, number nine. We've got Astonishing yeah. X-Men, number 50. Yeah. Avengers number eight, yeah. Cable uh-huh. and X Force number six, yeah. uh, Captain America number five, eh. Captain Marvel number eleven, yeah. Daredevil number twenty four, yeah. Dark Avengers number one eighty eight. Yeah. Oh, we're getting near the end of that one, sadly. Deadpool number six. Um, we've got uh, Hawk. No, sorry, no, Indestructible Hulk number five, uh, Iron Man. Nope, those are all se- double. Those are all second printings. New Avengers number four, yeah. uh, Nova number two, yeah. Savage Wolverine number three. Yeah. Uh, Superior Spider-Man number six. Yes. Uh, Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number twenty-one. Yes. Um, we've got Wolverine Max number five, X Factor number two fifty-three, and Extermination number one. I just need to give Marvel the digits to my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Valiant Entertainment, we've got Harbinger number ten and Exo Man of War number eleven. And from Zenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales presents Madness of Wonderland, number two of 
for whoa hey on the zenoscope front quickly i saw a video clip of a movie they're making yes the animated series what did you think i did not get to watch it but i i know of it but i did not get to see it looked interesting it was you know not exactly you know pixar (laughs) well no Um, they had a Kickstarter event, I believe, yeah. to uh, to fund that. And uh, no, I'm curious. Um, it's funny because I my my thing with Zenoscope and the the Grimm's fairy tales thing is that I got I've been reading Zenoscope books or was reading Zenoscope books um, pretty much since the, since they came onto the scene since the beginning. Uh, they were some of the only comics that I was reading during my sabbatical. Um, I just, I enjoyed, Grimm's has become a very continuity heavy, uh, comic where they've kind of latched on to a main character and are now fleshing out this whole world where it's becoming more of a universe. I liked the series better when it was like a story per comic, but I understand that there are only so many stories within the Grimm's you know, collections that, you know, you can only take that so far. And obviously they want to, you get an idea, you want to expand your universe and stuff, but it's gone to some really strange places. And I don't know anybody that's in the book anymore. So I feel very lost on it, Mm -hmm. but um, I would be curious to, to uh, catch a little bit of the animated series. Mm -hmm. I'm always up for, for uh, checking out something new. Why not? Lady with a big sword. Yeah. yeah, and and well, big. Lena Lena Hetty is like the yeah is the narrator. Is that what she is? Or um, Sella uh, Matthews or Mathers or something like that. Um, she's a fantastic, fantastic character. Okay. Um, she's very diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very cryptic. Um, I love her as as a as a character. The fact that she she is the the main character might drive me to go and check mm. that out. Um, and fortunately, for all the things that I do say about them expanding the universe, she's still the center of it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just one of those things that I haven't sat down to get reacquainted with yet since they kind of blew it up. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, this is not about a new release, but speaking of animated stuff, uh, there's this website called StreamingSoon.com where it tells you everything that's going to come on Netflix streaming. And uh, kind of freaked out this weekend because uh, pretty much all the Cartoon Network stuff is coming. Um, yep. And but comic book focus. First of all, Adventure Time season one is all going to be on there. Uh, but uh, uh, the Show. all Robot Chicken is going to be on there. Ooh. Nice. Uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Ba- all Batman Beyond. Oh, and, I have all that. Uh, and all of the Justice League cartoon, the, the Bruce and Justice League that includes Unlimited. Uh, is going to be uh, on Netflix starting on the 30th of March. Mm. So get ready for that. As well as, I mean, Powerpuff Girls is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, you know, all this other stuff. Ben 10 is going to be there. So if you're into all that stuff. Space it, Coast? Um, I don't know. I didn't oh. see. Uh, regular Show is going to be on there. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Uh, Johnny Bravo. Yes. Um, let, me, let me see. Samurai Jack. Yes. Uh, no Space Ghost, coast to coast. I'm let's really see. upset. Uh, I don't think any Space Ghost. Uh, no Space Ghost, Bob. Sorry. I've never completed I wish my they, collection. I, I think it, I, they'll probably have more than just season one of Adventure Time. They are dragging their asses with releasing that on any DVD format. The only season that exists is still season one. They're in season five. Well, that's probably why then. Cause yeah, well, they keep releasing these like, you know, mix and match DVDs of Fiona and Cake. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 12 other random ass episodes it's very annoying. I'm sorry. I am displeased. Yeah, I can hear the yeah. in your voice. I am displeased. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, one more release. Obviously, we talked about it earlier in the show, but uh, the Private Eye on uh, yes. uh, the Brian K. Vaughn, Marcos Martin. Totally worth checking uh, out. Check out that as well on uh, panelsyndicate.com. All right. So uh, if you guys want to get in touch with us, uh, info at talkingcombooks.com or at talkingcomics on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash talkingcomics. And of course, uh, please comment on the website, talkingcombooks.com. Uh, bunch of great articles. Uh, Sean Lamont put up a basically a review of Marvel Unlimited, the thing we've been talking about. It's really in-depth and, and really well done. Uh, of course, we have comic book covers of the week. We have Talk Comics Presents um, and all our reviews. And uh, when it goes up, you know, Melissa does that great nature versus nurture column. You know, Bob gives us tales from the archives. So look out uh, for that stuff on the site every week. Uh, and uh, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Uh, mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And uh, Stephanie's is, of course, at Hello Cookie. So that is it for Talking Comics for this week. For Steve. Bye-bye. Bob. Good night. And myself. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. Oh, my God.